Graham McMillan, <laughs> my goodness, I'm totally sorry. I completely forgot, like a complete ca ca idiot. So, hmm, yeah. Eh. That's all right. These We are doing it at a different time. So that's like... It's very confusing. It's very, very, very confusing, Graham McMillan. I'm sorry, Jeff Lester. <laughs> <laughs> are we just using each other's full, full names? Full names. Full names for the full podcast, Graham McMillan. I just want to keep things straight for everyone here. Hello, one nuts. Welcome to Baxter Building, where myself, Mr. Gray McMillan, and my learned colleague, Mr. Lady McLateface, Jeff Lester. He says that like he was late by like a minute. Oh, you were Just too don't, kind, don't, Graham. Don't, you were too don't, kind. You were yeah. literally don't being too kind. Me. That's shaming me. Listeners. Shut up, Lester. Shut up. We're moving on. Anyway, we read the... <laughs> Stop laughing. Sorry. We read the Fantastic Four, the first volume from Marvel Comics. Uh, we are currently on sort of mid-John Byrne period. This time around, we're doing issues 261 through 270. Mm -hmm. Or, as Jeff and I were just saying before we started recording, the issues that were sort of suddenly surprisingly good again. Mm -hmm. That we both liked and spent a certain amount of time before we were officially recording trying to figure out why. So let's do it officially on the record, Graham. Let, let's, yes. Let's go straight into it, mm -hmm. Jeff. Yes. With 261, the search for Reed Richards, which starts with a splash page that shows that maybe Reed Richards should be stopping Namor macking on his wife. I love the idea that they're searching for Reed Richards in Sue Richards' mouth. So <laughs> that's... He's like, hey, no, let, let me help you out with this. Yeah. Well, uh... <laughs> that's, how, that's how Namor kisses. Did you never know that? It, you he know, always makes that noise. It, I, it's, I, it's an Atlantean thing. You know what it actually is? It's his wings and his, his ankles. Oh, when he gets excited, they sort of start buzzing. Ah. <laughs> that's what happens. Yeah. Um, you may remember faithful whatnots did the last time we did a baxter building 260 ends with namor showing up and saying to sue you must help me uh and then they fuck off to alpha flight for an issue and so 261 just starts with him dropping her back off being like thanks for the help yeah for the next page i mean if you skip the alpha flight reference it's namor showing up and being like you must help me and then you pick up the next issue it's like ah and it's like then he's like well next time just bring her on down to the shop which is really uh, very interesting of John Byrne. He was kind of like, yeah, sure. There was What's a Submariner like, Marine of threesome, sure. Yeah, the splash page is literally just uh, Namor kissing Sue. And then Sue's line that the page is, well, that was interesting. <laughs> exactly. I do. Really, if you're not reading Alpha Flight, yeah. then for all you know, like Namor really did just go, mm -hmm. I, look, I've, I've got Marina. Yep. Let's just have a threesome. Yeah, exactly. And then they're like, well, that was interesting. Thanks. <laughs> exactly. And then Sue's like, eh, you know, I should really check in on my husband. You should have thought of that earlier, Sue. Much, but much there's earlier. No, like, there's, there's no line saying like, you know, thanks for helping out with the master and his plan to use alien DNA to take over, over the world. Yeah. Instead, he's literally just like, thanks, Sue. That was great. And she's yep. like, mm, that, was, that was great as well. I agree. See you later. <laughs> 
I'm going to go ahead and look for my husband. <laughs> yeah, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. And yet, I, I kind of have to give Burton some credit in the sense of he was like, eh, fuck it, this is how, this is what I think of as a splash page. And it does work. I, my my eyebrows certainly raised. But um, but it is it really has very little to do with what follows, which, Graham, do you wish, do you wish to be summary man here? So the short version is, as I've said in the last episode, the previous few issues of Fantastic Four have all taken place over a 24-hour period. So Reed has actually been missing from the Fantastic Four since issue 257. Right. Uh, this is now issue 261, but no one has realized he's missing yet. Yeah. 261 is the issue where they realize that. But in everyone's defense, it takes place over a 24-hour period, so they just think that they haven't seen Reed for a while. That's right. Sue goes, uh, discovers the Silver Surfer who's recovering in the Baxter building, and they decide that they will together go and check on Reed Richards, who is looking after the vision after the events of the Annihilus storyline mm-hmm. in issues ago. They arrive at Avengers Mansion only to discover a hole in the side of it, and Wanda basically saying, Oh no, like Reed was kidnapped by a, an energy beam. You guys might want to look into this. I might have called. But I thought, no, never mind. Maybe you guys are going to want to fight like Doctor Doom or something in the meantime. It was... Which is what happened. Yeah, right, right. Well, I actually do love that little bit of Scarlet Witch. I feel like it's completely... Um, I'm not really sure it's intentional on Burns' part, but I love how she shows up. Like, Sue shows up, and Wanda is incredibly blasé about it. Like, oh, hear about your missing husband, huh? And he's, she, and Sue's like, she what? She doesn't say that. She says, surely you're more concerned about what happened to Reed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it's just a matter of fact. Yeah. And then when Sue starts flipping out, Wanda switches from ultra lackadaisical to completely like, oh, well, no, I, I tried to call you. And I'm like, uh-huh. We've all had this friend. You know, and I hate to say it. But... Going, and then when she's explaining what happened, she's like, yeah, I went to make some tea when he came back, Reed was gone. Yeah. She, I mean, I tried to call you, but the tea was getting cold. Seriously. So, seriously. So, you know, I thought I should finish it. I owe it to the tea. Yeah, exactly. And then, then, you know, maybe I could come and look for you. Yeah. But, you know, it was a really big cup of tea. It was. It was had time. forever. You oh, literally my God. had time. To fight Doctor Doom and Terax, yeah, and then go to Alpha Flight for an issue before yep. coming back, yeah. Before I thought maybe I will go and try and find you. Yep. Wanda Maximoff, bad friend. So, but I do appreciate the fact that she is willing to like um, act like it's a big situation. Like she doesn't think it's a big situation, and then when you think it's a big situation, she's like, "Oh my god, yes." So, listeners, uh, anyway, don't be like so Scarlet she, Witch. She, she, Jeff really doesn't like Scarlet Witch. I like she's Scarlet been, Witch. I just don't like her on these written, two pages. I was going to say, unless she's been written by Steve Englehart, then you love Scarlet Witch. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I, maybe uh, I don't anyway, like Scarlet Witch. Um, because the Silver Surfer is there, he uses his Deus Egg Machina powers to show everyone what happened in the past. Because apparently that's a power he has. He has he, it, but then he makes them look away from away it. The, Yes, the indescribable power cosmic peels itself, uh, peels away the fabric of the universe itself, rolling back the hours for looking to the past. Yeah. What? I'm done I with mean, it. Don't get me wrong. The power cosmic can do whatever the writer says it can. Exactly. But it's nuts to me that yeah. they're like, oh yeah, he can actually make time go backwards. Well, you know what, Graham? There's a point. I'm going to save it till I think next issue. But I have a very big complaint about this storyline, and it is in fact centered ex- precisely around Mister Norrin Rad. So, well, 
there's so many things to dislike about Narad. Anyway, he sees that Reed was kidnapped by a power beam. Sue then calls in the rest of the Fantastic Four. Silver Surfer has just left at yeah. this point. Mm-hmm. He's not like, I'm going to help you guys. He's yeah. just like, you, you guys might want to take care of this yourselves. Sue and Ben and Johnny decide that they are going to go looking for Reed. This, because it's a John Byrne comic, features a two-page flashback yeah. to the origin of the team. Byrne just can't let himself go more than like a year without doing a flashback to the origin team. What is funny is, while this is going on, the Thing series is also running, and I'm fairly sure that Byrne alternates flashbacks of the origin of the FF between these two books. Wow, like if it's hilarious. It, it, like, they appear maybe once every four months in one of the books. Wow. Because definitely the Thing features it twice in its first ten issues. Hmm. Anyway, they decide the first place they're going to start looking is the blue area of the moon because they're going to check up on the Watcher. Mm-hmm. They figure the Watcher, understandably, yes. will know is gone. Mm-hmm. And the Watcher, understandably, does. Mm-hmm. And because he is forbidden to interfere in mortals' uh, affairs, he teleports them to the heart of the Shi'ar Empire. Yeah. <laughs> so that they can interfere directly. Yeah, that's right. So he's... The Watcher is the greatest cosmic enabler in comics, isn't he? <laughs> I can't, I, look, I can't do anything. Yeah. But if I tell you that she finished the chocolate cake mm-hmm. and I show you where her plate is and then I give you this key to her house and a gun. I, you guys <laughs> this is great. I already had that moment. I was going to be the one who was going to go dark with this. But holy cow, Graham, well done. <laughs> That's what the Watcher does. Uatu the Watcher is the worst. I can't do anything. <laughs> But listen, I've uh, I've got the signed confession, and here's the number of a good lawyer. But I can't interfere. <laughs> this is all on you. Yeah, I, I can't. You know, I can't do anything. Here's a videotape <laughs> and some circumstantial evidence. I've, I've got a policeman over here, oh but God. I can't do anything. I'm totally out of this. It's we, not me. This so should have been a pilot on like. You know, the, the the next Law & Order uh, franchise really should be, like, Law & Order, the blue area of the moon. And it's just the Watcher, like, both setting up and turning in the killers. It's it's great. <laughs> exactly. Um, anyway, he transports them to the heart of the GR Empire, where it turns out that Reed is being tortured. Full-on tortured. Yeah. By yeah. Uh, and it turns out, of co- first of all, of course, the Fantastic Four, the rest of the Fantastic Four save him. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, then proving that the Watcher cannot interfere with mortal affairs, he then stops the Fantastic Four being killed by the people who have, who were torturing Reed Richards by putting them all in bubbles. Yes. Uh, and presents them in front of the council so that they can all talk about what's going on. And then Lilandra of the Shi'ar Empire shows up and says, fuck you, Reed Richards. You saved the life of Galactus. You're fucked. Mm-hmm. End of issue. That's 261. It actually ends with uh, Lalandra in a splash page saying, for his unspeakable crime against all things that live, Reed Richards must die. Jeff, do you want some funny backstory for this? I sure do. This storyline comes from John Byrne apparently being pissed off at Chris Claremont. You know, I was going to ask if this was indeed the case. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give you a bit of backstory here. Thank you. Remember the last Galactus appearance in Fantastic Four featured Reed Richards saving the life of Galactus, which is what the storyline is all about. Yeah. 
Claremont was apparently super pissed about that. Mm-hmm. He apparently was really, really angry that he had had to kill off Phoenix because she had destroyed one planet. Mm-hmm. But John Byrne gets to pretend that Reed Richards is a hero for saving the life of a guy who literally his entire gig is killing off planets. Yeah. And so in Uncanny X-Men 167, he has Lalandra find this out on the page and get really angry about it mm-hmm. and then go and read the right act to the to the FF. Yeah. And she outright says, from now on, any more lives that uh, Galactus takes, it's on your head. Yes. And apparently Byrne then saw that because he didn't know it was coming. Oh, I got super pissed. Mm-hmm. And was like, fuck it, I'm going to do a story to say that Reed was right. Mm-hmm. And that's where the story comes from. Interesting. Because I have to say, one of the things that's interesting is 262, as you know, and I don't want to jump into the issue, but it features the flashback where Lalandra shows up and threatens Reed and Sue while they're in bed. And I had not, as far as I knew, read this issue of the... Of, of the FF, but I'm like, this seems crazily familiar. Was that in a previous issue of the FF that I've forgotten about? And of course, it actually, thank, thank you, Marvel Unlimited, I was able to quickly jump over to the appropriate issue of X-Men, download it, read it, and be like, oh, here's the little one-page sequence. The thing that I find interesting is um, that little sequence really works. Like, Byrne has taken it and sort of... Um, ingested it into his storyline but the fact of the matter is it would have been a great little scene to have happen in the ff itself so that essentially kind of like you know that dime is going to drop so that such that later when galactus we see this whole world eating sequence where he destroys the scroll world and he's crazy hungry that is um, that is like Burn doing, and this is kind of what I'm going to be talking about in issue 262. That's Burn very much being like, here is the Marvel cosmic spectacle of Galactus. We finally kind of get to see him like he's so hungry, he just sinks into the world and just and explodes it, which is kind of awesome. Honestly, I like it a lot more than than Galactus. Like, here I am setting up my little George Foreman Galactus Galactic Grill, you know, and I'm getting ready to fry the planet. But it has, it's relatively weightless. I mean, in the sense of you get Nova being like, oh, wow, do I love him? You know, or Galactus is like, I'm so hungry, I must do this again, forgive me. But there's no real personal stakes. Whereas if you'd had that sequence before they before the FF go into the negative zone, which is where Byrne places it in the continuity, uh, where Reed and Sue are basically told by the Lalandra that if Galactus eats anything, it's on your fucking head, that sequence could happen and actually have some, you know, personal weight or stakes for us. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So it's one of those weird deals where part of me is like, I I, I actually generally approve of the way this storyline sort of works and and comes together but there are ways and in the way that it's amusing it's both surprising and not surprising that burn is more or less semi-egged on into doing this storyline because claremont objects to it there's kind of a weird push me pull me that actually could create um i suppose for someone who was actually reading both titles at the time maybe someone could actually look at that, you know, have read the X-Men sequence and then 
assuming that it really did happen before Galactus ingests Scroll World, being like, oh shit, what's going to happen next? You know, like a gift for reading two separate titles. But for me just reading this, I was like, oh man, this is one of those, like, this really could have been improved with just a little bit more, I don't know, planning or forethought, you know, um, which is interesting to me. Is Burn think it Burn clearly is thinking these things through. God knows when you read issue 262, you know, uh, it's a little strident, but you know, there's, there's some <laughs> just, st- just a little, yeah, you know, but there is shit that's going on. That's, um, okay. Well, should we jump to 262? Yeah, let's yeah. move into 262. 262 uh, is the trial of Reed Richards. I should say 261 was officially called the search for Reed Richards. Yeah. So it's, it's your Reed centric two-parter. 262 has the drawback of being an assistant editor's month issue. Right. Which means two things. One, the corner box on the cover has a note from John Byrne saying, hey guys, I know it's Assistant Editor's Month, but let's not do anything too silly on the cover. Okay, love and kisses John. I don't know if that was meant to go on the cover or not. I don't care. Either way, I find it an incredibly funny note to actually appear on the cover of this comic. Sadly, the other thing is not as good, which is because they're being wacky, uh, this is the issue where the star of the issue is John fucking Byrne. Yeah. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, you know, we've seen Fantastic Four creators show up in Fantastic Four before. It was kind of cute when Stan and Jack did it. Yes. But they were much more self-depreciating than John Byrne, who literally makes the story about himself. Yeah. Well, at least when Kirby was doing it uh, with Lee, it, it you most of the time you saw like the back of their heads you know and that was that was pretty common is i think of the classic marriage of reed and sue where it's like lee and kirby have shown up at the end of the story in their tuxes and their hats but you just see them from behind and yeah you know unsurprisingly the fact that the very first page allows us to look at john burns you know awesome arm forearm hair is just kind of like oh wow also Lee and Kirby and uh, later uh, Roy Thomas and George Perez really were self-depreciating. Yeah. They were schmucks caught up in the center of things, whereas the Watcher fucking comes for John Byrne to make sure that he is present for the trial of Reed Richards in this issue. Right. Which, on, on the one hand, there's part of me that's kind of... It's probably the best way to ha- to have something happen that's assistant editor-y without having it i mean either having a waka waka filled you know um issue and then coming back to the trial of reed richards but i think in terms of for 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 a for the serious trial of reed richards to have the kooky assistant editor element in it i feel like they could have done worse i mean the worst part is is essentially that burn really does make himself such a participant. It's the number of panels where you look where Byrne, as the issue continues, where you'll, if you read from left to right, he's the first guy on the left-hand side of the panel, so he's the first person you get the reaction from. Happens. uh, Also, don't forget when Sue is telling John Byrne about Which being threatened the... by Lalandra. Yes. John Byrne actually says, why that arrogant witch? I always had the impression she was too full of her own importance, but to actually threaten the Fantastic Four? Yeah. 
<laughs> oh shit! Yeah, that was crazy. I was just like, oh man, oh man. It's kind of interesting though. I mean, it is sort of you know, it's fun in terms of for those people who really want to like sit down and be as we've discussed in, you know, various wait what episodes, that the thin line in comics between fanfic and canon is so thin and sort of permeable. I mean, John Byrne is doing self-insert fanfic for this issue of the Fantastic Four, you know? And at least he doesn't make it all sort of, he's not, it doesn't all end up... Um, Impin you know, the story doesn't impinge on his presence, per se, but in terms of what John Byrne thinks of as drama, which is to say the statements of exposition, he's right up there. You know, he's, well, he's a but, prime but player. Here, I mean, it's a trial. Mm -hmm. That's what, a, that's what a, a trial story is. Sure. Pe like, people coming in and giving expositionary statements, and then the tension of, will he be found guilty? Which Byrne you know, utterly sidesteps. Okay. Which, well, yeah, I was about to say. Conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but, but up until that point, I mean, you, you even have, you know, Reed pleads guilty. Right. Understandably being like, wait, I'm being charged with saving Galaxy's life. Well, people saw me do it. Right. <laughs> How am I going to plead otherwise? Right. This is just something that everyone knows I did. Right. But it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a wacky, issue right i think yeah. we can like do you like it because well, i i i read it when i was a kid and mm -hmm. i really liked it and mm -hmm. this time around i really disliked it i can see that why you would really dislike it uh frankly because again it's kind of that thing of like in in a way it's sort of a good marvel comic in a way that you sort of mean that in a disparaging way like a lot of the pull of the story comes from continuity ramifications of things that happened earlier that don't actually happen in the issue themselves and whose dramatic tugs um, come largely from the appearance guest appearances of other Marvel characters you know so Byrne's whole idea of I'm going to take this big with having Odin appear as a, you know, a, essentially a character witness, and then I'm going to have it show up bigger by having Galactus and Nova show up and really not do fuck all, and then do biggest by having Eternity show up. And well, well, that that's why Galactus shows up. Galactus shows up to summon Eternity. Yeah, but that I mean, that's ridiculous, of course. Yeah, but. But it's, you like, know, it's all ridiculous, Jeff. No, no, like, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm just saying. I, I just mean ridiculous in the sense of Galact. It, it, it's it to me. It's very much this idea of um, Burn being like, okay, I'm going to take the scale and I'm going to pump. You know, I'm going to bring it larger and larger and larger. And yeah. that part is very fun if you know the players. And again, that feeling of like when you're a kid or you're new to the continuity, or even if you're just if you're if you're a Marvel fan, this issue kind of is the shit because it's got this sense of you know just just the idea that things are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And w I mean, what's interesting to me is is the way in which we've moved so far from the way that Kirby makes the stakes bigger in his stories is just blowing your brain with amazing spectacle, I suppose. And this is kind of the 
Fantasy Island love boat approach to blowing your mind where it's like, wow, I cannot believe this special guest star, you know? And I... Well, yeah, but in, in its own way, I think Byrne is trying to do the same thing, yes. which is to up the ante. Yes. It's just that his version of upping the ante is, whereas Kirby would create new characters who come in right. and serve these roles, mm-hmm. Byrne is so interested in, you know, the hyper continuity of the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. That he goes, well, no, this has to be Odin. Like, of course, Odin would come in. Right. Like, and then, and, and, you know, well, the, the ultimate voice would have to be Eternity. Right. You know, like, it, he's like, well, of course. Mm-hmm. It, 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 this only makes sense. Right. And and you don't get the the shock of the new, which I think is what helps Kirby. And even then, like, with Kirby's plotting, we would often go, well, this is ropey as shit. However... Look right. at these damn pages. No, 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 like, exactly. Super inventive. Right. But when, you know, Byrne doesn't have, Byrne has neither the artistic chops mm-hmm. for all that Byrne's pages are like super glossy and super interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that They're not, they're nowhere near as visually exciting. Well, uh, and yeah. he doesn't try and be as creative as, as Kirby. Well, I and I think that's it for me. There's just, there's an, uh, I, although I'm aware that that Byrne, I shouldn't really fault him in the sense that he saves, he's sparing with his full page splashes, and he uses them to more or less emphasize uh, big moments rather than big characters. I thought that it was pretty funny that apart from that that uh, Galactus reaction shot, like. All of our cosmic characters that pop up, Odin and Galactus and Eternity, really kind of pop up in very, very tiny panels, you know, initially. And then at least with Galactus and Eternity, you kind of get the full reaction shots. Although those reaction shots are, again, burn using those as plot points slash didactic talking points. You know, should we like very quickly just explain what the resolution of the story is? Because I, I feel like like we haven't. So for anyone who's not reading, the trial of Reed Richards goes very poorly for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Watcher, he first of all, the Skrulls come and say, well, Galactus ate our planet. And then Reed says, I did save his life. Mm-hmm. Things are not looking good for him. The Watcher, who's acting as Reed Richards defense, brings in Odin. Right. who pretty much recaps the origin of Galactus mm-hmm. and makes the argument that Galactus serves a purpose. The court is not... The, the uh, judge in this case are a collective of alien races. It's a quorum. They're not convinced by Odin's arguments. Galactus then shows up and everyone is in awe, but Galactus and the Watcher then summon Eternity and Eternity gives everyone cosmic awareness. Yeah. From everyone's having cosmic awareness, which leads to a hilarious page of everyone going, ooh. Right. Um, yeah. You th- it then cuts back to Burn at the drawing table on the phone with his editor saying, you guys, it was fucking cosmic. And then we all just were like, okay, then, and came home. Yeah. And that's, that's the resolution. The resolution is basically everyone cosmic awareness for a second, realized Galactus had a place in the universe. The end. Yeah. So... So my thing is, is that, so let me tell you, so the thing that I've been holding on to, like, so I read through the, these thing, these issues the first time through, and I was like, yeah, these are fine. They sort of roll along. I found them very readable. I, I think that, you know, I'm enough, I am a continuity nerd. So the idea of Byrne trying to figure out a way to kind of justify, um, you know, Galactus's existence, which then sort of, you know, um, 
despite all of Burns' enormous talkiness and expositionness, then turns into a hand wave that, that, you know, Kirby himself in a way might have appreciated. When I thought about it afterwards, I was like, oh, it's that weird, like, ah, he just didn't think it through. Because, as you point out, we have a situation with the Watcher, where the Watcher is like, I can't do anything, you guys, and then does all this stuff, because the stakes are so important and so high, right? And so it's clear Byrne is willing to break the rules for whatever he thinks serves his story. The fact that Byrne doesn't really think, or rarely thinks in full dramatic terms is, I think, really apparent in this two-part issue. Because for me... I think that even if you had, like, if, if you were telling this story today, I think most comic writers who would be approaching it, hopefully, in the sense, would approach it differently. The thing that I was really aware of is there's no real personal stakes in this issue. Burnt doesn't really give a lot of space for, oh, Galactus is a, you know, is this terrible horrible cosmic siege like he has a panel where he mentions that all these guys get up and talk about their planets being destroyed and then we get the one panel of the scroll being you know because he's being very scroll like about it you're like that doesn't engender any sympathy at all so it's two issues i mean there's the setup issue but this issue really is perhaps unsurprisingly for a guy who wants to win an argument with chris claremont it's a big cosmic straw man argument you know, and what would be what would actually make it something with dramatic stakes, I realized, is you've got the Silver Surfer popping up for no reason in the previous issue. He would be the perfect dramatic fulcrum for the issue in the sense of if someone called on the Silver Surfer to testify for Galactus, like... That would have, to me, I'm like, that has a lot of personal stakes. Like, Norrin Rad is a character that we know and have familiarity with, at least if you're a Marvel fan, much more than Jin Jorn, the very awesomely um, Ditko-esque space alien, or, you know, Scroll Number 5, who just happens to have a name, is have the Silver Surfer be in the position of, we know everything that he's lost. And the idea that he would get up and more or less be like, yes, I've had everything stripped from me. I'm trapped on a planet. I have lost my civilization. I am I am the ultimate exile. And yet I still believe that there's a purpose for Galactus. I was going to say, if he was in the Watcher role, that would have been a, made a better story for me. Yeah, I think so too. Or, or yeah, or, or even if he's one of those surprise witnesses that ends up getting called or just something, you know, other than the boom, boom, boom of stacking things up. It's like, yeah, put him in there or he's there, like he's there with the Watcher and he's like, why am I here? And Watcher's like, well, I've used my magic powers to bring you here and, you know, temporarily escape the exile of blah, blah, blah. And the Silver Surfer be like, but why? And then ultimately he's the witness who more or less sort of can make or break the case for Reed Richards. And I think that just for me, I was like, oh, all these pieces are kind of in place for actual drama and having that weird feeling of like, these are enjoyable issues, but looking back on it, I, I also kind of had to acknowledge they're not 
I don't know. Again, it, it, much like Galactus himself, these issues of of the FF are beyond good and evil. Like I can't. It's not like they're not good issues. They're not bad issues. You know what I mean? Because the 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 rubric of how we would define that outside of the special comic book playpen that we find ourselves in would be really hard to describe. Like if you hand these stories to someone. I don't know, in their 20s or 30s, I, I can't help, who haven't read superhero comics, I can't help but feel they would be left pretty cold. If you're a kid, you're like, wow, this is exciting as hell because there's all these characters. And there's a little bit of the, there's so much meaning here that I don't get and I want yeah. to find out, right? Yeah. And as you get yeah. older, you're kind of like, eh. But there is a level where the, the, the superhero comic book level of allure at least post 60 something is strong here in the sense of if you catch it at the right time, it's, it's, it's a pretty heady mix. And what was interesting was the first time I read it through mindlessly or not really mindlessly, but just reading it, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm having that sort of superhero comic book itch scratched. These were pretty good issues. When I went back and reread them, I'm like, the trial of Reed Richards is like you said, it's the trial dynamic is people getting up and giving speeches. But for the most part, those speeches are pretty underwhelming in this issue. It's more just what Byrne is doing with sort of continuity assemblage, uh, lends it a certain level of, um, you know, it, it it gives it a bit of resonance that you're like, wow, that's really, for me, it made me realize how deeply ingrained some of these things are and being completely well, unable to gauge whether it's quote unquote good or bad, you know? I would argue that it's bad. I think that's, a, I, th I would agree with you. And and I think that uh, it really does. It's, the Trial of Reed Richards more than the Search for Reed Richards, but the Search for Reed Richards is also a very weak issue. It's very um, weak. Like there's a panel but, of the Silver Surfer being like, okay, hop on my board. And Sue literally says, I will pull the hair out of my eyes so I can see. And I'm like, I, actually, because you brought it up. According to John Byrne, issues 259 through 263 take place in 24-hour period, mm -hmm. as well as Alpha Flight issue 4. John Byrne writes and draws this comic, and yet John Byrne doesn't seem to understand how hair works. Mm -hmm. Because compare to Richard's hair throughout those four issues. Right, which is supposed to be a 24-hour period. I mean, the whole thing with Sue Richard's hair is kind of weird. Like, John Byrne clearly draws it as a whim. But, I mean, again, just that weird, like... John Byrne being like, ha ha, this is an important point that I'm making, which is, of course I know that Sue Richards has to put, put her hair back. I'm like, she's standing on a cosmic surfboard, for fuck's sake. But, but I sort of, John Byrne is from that era where, you know, DC comics were filled with like, how the hell does Superman shave? You know, and people be yeah. like, don't worry, we're addressing Wait, that in a very don't forget. special issue. When Byrne does Superman, he makes a he has a scene to explain that. Yeah, he makes a point of explaining how Superman shaves when he takes over Superman. Exactly, exactly. It's a big deal. That is the kind of continuity guy, and that that is the thing that I think is interesting about Byrne for me, is it makes sense 
retroactively that he was so huge in a way because he is kind of like the fanboy's fanboy. Uh, well, he, he appeals to, if you imagine that by the early to mid 80s, mm-hmm. that the audience is beginning to age out mm-hmm. and becoming really interested in this sort of thing. It makes sense that someone like him who mixes very slick artwork mm-hmm. and just a love of minutia yeah that of course he's going to become a superstar mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like he he is so anal in saying let's give this a real world view mm-hmm. Let, let's really think about like if they all these characters exist in the same universe what does that mean mm-hmm. let's have some guest shots but let's also think you know hmm if Reed Richards won a secret identity, will he change the shape of his face? Right, exactly. You know, right. that's, that's important stuff that we have to spend some time on. And yeah. also, like, later in these issues, he'll also get to, let's give, the, let's give Sue Richards a miscarriage, because that's dramatic. Yeah, which the miscarriage stuff is kind of, is another it's, interesting it's thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a terrible tonal misstep for the book. Right. But but he is, he like, for, for the fans who are like, no, no, this is what I want. Like, superhero comics aren't just for kids, you guys. Because right. I am now, like, you know, 22, and I'm in college, and I'm feeling self-conscious about it. Of course John Byrne is going to be a great creator. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. he's, he's dealing with the same shit himself. Yes. Yeah, I think so too. I, I, and, I and so so tw- two two sixty two mm-hmm. really feels like that to me. You know, it feels like someone explaining the Galactus stuff, which does not need to be explained, and doing so in the ways that makes it think that maybe he watched an episode of LA Law, and so he <laughs> thinks this is adult drama. Me, well, maybe, you know I mean? yeah, maybe. I think I think there's an element of like, yes, this is this is grown up stuff, maybe, but. But actually, one of the things why I think it's not quite as tedious as some of the other stuff Burn can break out is, is because he's kind of got that score to settle, you know? And and frankly, Claremont's, the little flashback in the trial of Reed Richards is kind of like, oh, okay, that's useful in the story because it does help us know that Lalandra is not going to be easily um, appeased. You know, mm. and and which kind of helps as like a dramatic stake because the dramatic okay, Cla- stake. Claremont helps this story considerably. Yes, yeah. By a, by basically setting up Lalandra to be the bad guy. Yeah, exactly. Which really does help Burns' cause a lot because uh, because it because it introduces a variety of things. I mean, as we know from reading a lot of Fantastic Four. The idea that Reed Richards is always right is, you know, not really a question for the reader, you know. And so this idea of like, is Reed going to be able to prove his case? And I'm sure well, for not, not, Burn, not only that, yeah. for having a familiar character be the voice of the opposition, yeah. and Lalandra, that's for X Men readers, is a sympathetic character. Yes, and is a character who does the right thing even when it is uncomfortable. Yeah. See the Phoenix, the Dark Phoenix. Sorry. That's right. You know, so you have essentially two sympathetic characters being set up against each other. Well, you should, except, of course, you've got John Byrne in there shit-talking Lilandra pretty early on to give you this weird, you know, he's, he again, he's like, eh, I don't, I, it's that weird thing with Byrne is, is I think that his, 
point i think drama is not especially interesting for him like the, the at least particularly in this in this story and so consequently some of the things like if we were to sit down and talk with him it wouldn't surprise me if his whole uh, map through the issue is like no I'm raising the stakes all the time the fact that Reed Richards makes his brave bold statement halfway through the issue and it still doesn't convince everyone that's your whole like oh fuck moment you know and I'm like but it's not really it's just kind of exactly but Reed Richards is always right and the fact that he says that and people aren't, just don't accept he's right yeah What's going to happen next? Right. Seriously. <laughs> Burns like, don't you see? I've blown the bar and the doors off the formula. And it's like, uh, uh, but it's a dumb formula, John. Right. Exactly. Which I think is one of those deals that it's fascinating to me. Us reading all these issues of the Fantastic Four, seeing the stuff that starts out with no formula becoming formula, becoming people upending the formula, you know, and in that sense, Byrne is, ref- you know what I mean? He's He himself is playing within the formula. He's not really bringing out everything that he thinks that he is, you know? Like, it's sort of, to me, it's sort of, yeah, Byrne's a little bit like the Quentin Tarantino of comics at this stage, you know? It's like, he's like, holy shit, you guys, look what I'm bringing. I'm turning this upside down. You thought I was going this way. I'm going the other way, and I'm bringing, I'm making shit real. And, you know, depending on your feelings of Tarantino and or Burn, it can work. Or you can find it being like, it's kind of trapped in its own bell jar, you know? And, And so the weird part is, is that when you get to, you know, the next issues, I was really surprised that 263 and 264 had little bits that made me be like, oh, boy, I, you know, sort of, I kind of wish that they had done this differently. But there's a way in which part of me is like, I don't think that, you know, Ben and Johnny versus Walt Disney is, is, I think that's a pretty solid idea for a story. And it's got some cute bits in it, you know? Okay. Okay. So talk to me about this because 263 and 264, which are called R&R and Inferno, respectively, I... I think they're kind of shitty. Yeah. And you clearly like them. Yeah, I do. But the weird part is I don't think that they're anything. You you don't think they're not shitty. (laughs) Yeah, almost. I just think they're really enjoyably shitty. Like there's – how do I put it? I guess in a way my shift as I get older is away from like, oh, so Galactus, his purpose, and Odin would totally show up as his trial – is more little things like when Sue drops the paint on the very first two pages of R&R and she catches it with her force field and you see the liquid floating there inside the force field, but you don't get the force field is invisible the way it's supposed to be and is almost never shown. It's a, it's a nice little moment, you know, and it's followed by Reed Richards turning into his secret identity by stretching his face not great, which, but it's which I I really hate. Yeah, it, yeah. Why do like you... I I really do. Why? Uh, um, you know what it is. In the Lee Kirby days, we used to love the fact that they would start off with like, "Here's the Fantastic Four as a family doing something mundane." Right. You're like too and mundane. It... <laughs> well, yeah, that's just it. Like, so you have this three-page sequence, 
And Burn is like, look, ah, Reed Richards can make himself look a bit like a dinosaur. Ah. <laughs> and then, like, he spends a, like, a page of him going, now I'm waiting for the bus. Now I'm on the bus. Yeah. No, and see, and that's that, it. He mm-hmm. spends another page of him going, now I'm going to unlock the locker. That's fantastic. Oh, it's so, it's so and amazing. It's like, yeah. Seriously, this is like a five-page sequence yeah. Yeah. of nothing. Yep. Yeah. No, I agree. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's kind of like you got to take it where you can get it, honestly. Like, because it is. The, the page one and page two, I'm like, fun. Page three and page four, fucking tedious. Page five, tedious as fucking shit. You know, even the whole like, here's, you know, the fact that they cut to internationally renowned Wonderworld Amusement Park in California for the newly completed Grand Prix race course where Johnny's been invited to race, um, is dramatically, crazily underwhelming. But the little sequence where It Johnny... also happens on page seven. Yes, which is crazy late. <laughs> page and that's it. seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I totally get it. I'm not... I, and again, but the, the page where Johnny and Julie Angel reconnect... Um, I don't know. For me, again, it's just that like it's like once every fifteen issues, Burn will do a character moment that I really like. And so, when Julie's talking to him and saying like, "Oh, here's how my life turned out," and yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a grease pit model, and he's like, "Huh, that that's nice." And then he's like, "Oh, well, this is my race," and she kisses him and says, "Good luck." I love the panel where he's just like literally gripping his head in exasperation and being not again. I just got over her, which I think is really funny. You know, the rest of the stuff with Johnny playing speed racer and then supposedly dying like and Ben flipping out again, really basically uninteresting. Although, um, you know, Burn throws in a little bit of Ben Grimm being like, yeah, he's a test pilot. He's seen lots of his friends die this way. I was like, oh, that's a nice little character bit, you know. So there's little bits and pieces. I was like, yeah, most of this is uh, dull-ish. And then it ends up with like, uh, I guess because I'm in this the summary seat, which I as always pity the listeners. Uh, Johnny goes off on the race. It looks like he's winning. He goes through a tunnel. He comes out of a tunnel. And then suddenly... His tire bursts. His car seems to explode into flames. Ben flips out. They tries to dig through the burning wreckage. Ends up burning both of his hands. So he gets kind of a cool look with bandaged arms. And of how course, everyone. How does like, that even work? Like, think of everything Ben's gone through in the past. Yeah. And all of a sudden, being in the middle of a fire burns him. So yes, Ben is like, my buddy can't be dead. And everyone's like, nope, he's dead. He burst into flame, and he's a flame guy, and therefore he's like burned. And and of course. You know, Ben himself is like, this really makes no sense. Johnny, uh, Johnny, uh, what's her name? Angel shows up again and is like, oh, um, hmm, you're the thing. Gosh, I gosh. And then Ben's like, I'm going to fly off to the special island that is the supposed retreat of faux Walt Disney. And lands there and is like, they, there's got to be something weird going on. He sh- a bunch of uh, thankfully rape. there is yes there is something we're thank God on. just in time for the end almost the end of the issue but not until we get even more like explicating where uh, Ben is subjected to an educational cartoony film strip that is 
uh, essentially, for lack of a better term, Neil Adams' wet dream, where it's like the planet. It is, is right. Expanding. I thought the same thing. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> I honestly, I was like, it feels like Neil Adams plotted this issue. Yeah. Yeah, because Neil understanding of how ecology works. Well, yeah. So it's very much like the planet's supposed to be expanding, but now it's not because the Earth's core has cooled and therefore uh, everyone's going, the planet's going to become overpopulated and everyone's going to die. Here comes Mr. Messiah Alden Mass, Mass, Mouse. I think it's supposed to be pronounced, of course, very closely to Mouse. Uh, who comes out in a white suit with like a little rose and is like, yes, I am the Messiah. I'm here to save everyone by taking uh, Johnny's powers and firing Nova Blast into the core of the Earth to restart the core and expand the planet and save everyone. Ben is like, you are nuts. Uh, I'm going to crash through this screen and save Johnny, even though he's suspended over an enormous pit. And yet it turns out that Johnny isn't even there, but for some reason the enormous pit is. So Ben falls forever, and you would think it would be sudden doom, or there would have to be something to break his fall. But no, he just hits something, bounces, survives. And amazingly enough, then the Mole Man shows up and prods him with his staff and manages to either do what a, a bajillion mile fall couldn't do, or administers the final thing that pushes Ben over the into um, unconscious cliffhangeria, so that the the mole man can be like, "Oh, I'm so pissed at you guys! You, you, you will! I will! Your attack on my underground realm means that I have no choice but to attack you." Which, again, I don't know. I, I, like the mole man's an interesting character in theory, but in actuality, I don't really ever think of him as a dramatic threat in any sort of way. And this, uh, so it's kind of a good thing that as we move on to issue 264, Inferno, we find that Ben Grimm, who is paralyzed and about to be killed, and the Mole Man's like, you idiots, you did it, you finally did it, you screwed up my beautiful happy ending that Bill Mantlo set up for me in Fantastic Four Annual 13, by the sudden, you know, uh, Walt Disney-inspired explosions into the core that all it ended up doing was killing lots of innocent people and make me weep a tear, and now I'm going to pledge vengeance against you guys. And Ben Grimm's like, hey, it's not me. It's not the surface world. It's Walt Disney with syphilis. Get your head in the game. And the Mole Man's like, I'm not going to believe you. I'm going to kill you with the world's oldest and dumbest death trap. And Ben's like, no, no, you have to believe me. I have to try and fight off this paralysis and, and stand up. In other words, if what I'm saying to you sounds completely dull and boring and lacking any sort of dramatic scope, I am overselling it. We cut to Reed Richards being like, hmm, there's something weird in Central Park. I'm going to have to march around in Central Park for a while because according to my timeline, John Byrne's timeline, um, it's too early for Secret Wars to happen yet. But it's very important for Jim Shooter that Secret Wars is being, you know, either hinted at or about to start. So Byrne has to, like, kill time by having Reed Richards, like, wave a butane blowtorch around Central Park with his stretchy arms. Meanwhile, Sue, who is super pregnant, is actually having super pregnancy woes. And of course, like any woman who had like a 
uh, dangerous childbirth the first time, she goes on to completely ignore it and put it off until, you know, it seems like it will be more dramatically expedient. Cut back to Johnny being, like, almost on the verge of death and a cheerly ho cheery hologram girl from last issue being an actual cheery girl here who's like, ah, yeah, I'm going to probably kill you with this next one. Before she can do so, the mole man has his moloids pull her through the ground. He gets to show up and be like, okay, I'm really impressive. Aren't I impressive? He's not. But you get the mole man, the thing, and the torch versus, and this was the part where I thought was great, sort of, is there's a panel where the Walt Disney Empire is being defended by thinly veiled Disney characters with guns and automatics who are saying, come on, man, stop them for Mr. Mouse, for the Messiah. Now, Graham, you know me, that's my sweet spot. Like, crazy cartoon <laughs> analogs wielding guns and talking about the Messiah. It's one of the things that actually bums me out is most people who, well, like Kirby has that idea of like, he would drop a brilliant, uh, a brilliant, a dozen brilliant ideas into the course of one issue to make things seem sort of bigger than they are. Burn is actually thrown a lot into these two issues in a way, but because it's so visually underdeveloped, it's kind of underwhelming. That panel of Mickey Mouse in short pants wielding weapons along with thinly disguised Pluto and Donald Duck analogs is should be great. It's incredibly underwhelming. Like the entire panel of uh, Ben and Johnny and the Mole Man fucking up Disney creations, which honestly I think should have gone on for about eight pages, is over in like two, in part so that Burn can be like, hey, guys, everyone knows I love that monster from FF number one. And my whole thing is drawing the FF like in the yeah, style of as Joe much Sinek as possible, on, as much as possible. I'm doing it on the cover. I'm doing it on an interior page here. And I'm bringing back that character, for, that monster from issue one so that he can spend a couple of pages ripping through shit to get us to where we need, which, again, in Burn means an incredibly dramatically deflated denouement because by the time they show up in order in theory to stop Walt Disney from dropping his atomic bomb down into the core of the planet to restart the core a certain doom not only do they show up too late but essentially Dis Disney analog has died because he's been he succumbed to his degenerative ner nervous disorder a.k.a. syphilis, that had characterized his failing metabolic functions and delusions of grandeur, a.k.a. Right. syphilis. Jeez. Really? Because I honestly read both of them as AIDS. Am I really? too early? Was that uh, too early for like AIDS to be a mainstream thing in America? No, I, no 84 it was kind of a big mainstream thing, I guess. Although, yeah, maybe. I guess that's probably closer to it, I suppose. Which is kind of interesting. Um, that would be some really interesting stuff from, and, and honestly, it's so subtle. I'm sure Byrne was like, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, then you get another fun concept, which is all the faceless drones of Disney, which are these corporate yes men are in fact robots who were kind of like, yeah, we were going to let him do his thing. Cause it really was going to affect the world anyway. Even if he dropped the bomb in there, it wasn't going to fuck anything up. And they're like, why did you let him do it? He's like, we were programmed to let him do it. And 
the next page where it's like after Disney has died, these um, company men uh, more or less just march into the sea to be uh, obediently march into the sea so that they can be crushed by the water pressure at the bottom of the ocean. I don't know, Graham. Like I said, these are not necessarily good issues. And again, the dramatic disappointment, just talking out loud, I'm like, oh, right. That really is Burns. Burns' weird deflationary thing, which will really be important to talk about come to issue 267, I think, uh, is is once you can ignore that, as I, ha I guess I'm getting acclimated to, again, you thought they were shitty issues. I'm like, they're shitty issues, but weirdly readable, and there's enough throwaway ideas in them that I'm used to my level of disappointment with John Byrne for not the fleshing out the good stuff so that he can focus on the Picayune stuff. Like Byrne is incredibly Picayune here, but I really thought if you described to me, I really thought these issues were going to be boring as shit. And weirdly they mostly are. And yet I enjoyed them. So, <laughs> but here's the thing. When you describe it the way you've described it, mm -hmm. they sound far more interesting than the actual comics are. Right. Well, you yes. know, there, there are so many interesting ideas. Mm -hmm. Again, not subtle ideas, not new ideas, no, but interesting no. ideas mm -hmm. here. Like Walt Disney has a Messiah complex and the money to do something dangerous with it. Yes. Everyone around him is literally a robotic drone yeah. who is programmed to let him do what he wants. Yeah. And also his cartoon characters are deadly. Like, there's a lot of fun stuff there. Mm -hmm. Nothing about the story is fun. Uh, well, no, like, no, exactly. You've got some, you, you've got some good ideas mm -hmm. and just terrible execution of those ideas. Exactly. Also, part of the reason that I, I really am down on this is this is the last storyline of the classic Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. Like, Secret Wars happens after this issue. Right. So this is the last original Fantastic Four issue Burn does. Mm -hmm. And last full original Fantastic Four until the end of Engelhart, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Maybe even Simonson. Which is a long if, ways down the road. Right. If if you think about like all the various permutations of the team. Mm -hmm. Um and it's it's a it's not just that it's not a good story. It's not a good story that doesn't feature the team together. That's right. There's only two members of the team here. Yeah. I, and Reed and Sue appear in like page cameos. Mm -hmm. And even then for uh, 264, not even together. Yes. And so it just feels amazingly underwhelming to me. Like really disappointingly underwhelming. Well, I, I which I get, but to me, there's a little bit of, and who knows, maybe Burns got a really solid idea of where things are going to go further out down the road. If this were, if if this was, if Englehart was already sort of writing the book, like pieces would be coming into place. You know, Burns' big thing is kind of his pregnancy and the FF secret identity. It doesn't, there is a way in which, like, well, you don't really know that this, you know, even the thing with Central Park, I was like, what the fuck is Reed running around for? Like, obviously, this is to set up something that's coming. And when I was really surprised, I'm like, oh, it's Secret War. Oh, interesting. Because there's, out of everything that you would think that is going to come out of Secret War, 
and the ramifications for the FF and what Byrne could be spending his time on developing, at least in the pages of this book, the fact that they're going to have to go to Central Park is the least, literally, the most trite, trivial thing that you can focus on. There's so many other pieces that you can put into play here. And yet, weirdly, you just don't, you know? Like, But so for myself, it's like the the weird part is uh, the little pleasures are the parts that I enjoy. Like in issue... Um, 264 i'm very underwhelmed by you know the splash page of the mole man talking but the next page where they're walking through you know the underground abyss and burn takes the time to spell out the title of the story inferno in raising you know the the i don't know the smoldering updrafts and vapors of magma is really fun like it's really uh, it's we it's weird the stuff that pays dividends with burn um you know in some cases it's funny that you see burn rail against like you said walt disney and the idea that he is that he is dangerous that he has the messiah complex because i think you know if 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 Burns' execution demanded sort of the old-style Baxter building let Jeff ramble on and on for a long time, we could talk about how Burns' conception of himself as a devoted company man, that this issue perhaps explores the levels of uneasiness that, that Burns supposedly feels at the quote-unquote messiahs, even as Burns' sort of weird ego keeps pushing himself into the center of stories and yet rejecting the idea that he's in any way, you know, a quote unquote Messiah um, really goes on to be one of these weirdo things that could play out, not just with Burns career, but like when you were talking about that overarching description of Disney, I'm like, Oh God, like that really sure describes George Lucas up until a few years ago too. Like there Mm -hmm. is something that's weirdly, it's it's not it's not really fully applicable to everyday life and what we do with corporate mega stars now but it's not but it could get there you know so much of burn stuff really is uh, what's the term like in situ i guess you know it's it's never it it never gets to fully flourish and i guess i guess like me if you're the kind of dude who's going to take his kicks where he can get them with his assignments. Um, I'm like, okay, I enjoy the, I enjoy thinking about what could have, have been here. Cause, cause it's, it's, un, it's not actually that surprising that you don't get it. And I mean, honestly, by the time you get to, uh, uh, two the house that Reed built, let's talk hmm. about two sixty five, which is a very strange issue between two sixty four and two sixty five. There is the release of Thing Issue 10. Thing Issue 10 is the lead in Secret Wars. It includes Ben, Reed, and Johnny going to investigate the object in Central Park and disappearing. Graham, so be- this- before you get there, I'm so sorry because yep. I'm Joe Interrupty. Can you perhaps sort of maybe quickly summarize your – can you give us uh, a, so a what, nickel tour? What you, what you really want to know is the – I want to say from like issues five onwards of the thing. It might even be issue four. 
mm-hmm. through issue 10. A constant theme is Alicia is in the hospital after the Annihilus attack. Interesting. And the visits to the hospital and Ben's increasing uh, discomfort with the fact that she's been in the hospital for so long and her recovery mm. uh, is a common theme. Leading to issue 10 of the thing is pretty much an issue-long conversation with Alicia after she has been released from hospital. Mm-hmm. The conversation is leading to Ben breaking up with Alicia. Right. There is also the implication that Ben is also going to leave the team mm-hmm. uh, because he's so unhappy with what is going on. He doesn't break up with Alicia, however, mm-hmm. because Reed comes to interrupt him to say, we have to get to Central Park. And so it is left in this limbo state where Alicia pretty much knows that Ben is going to dump her. Mm-hmm. He goes to Central Park with Reed and Johnny and they, they vanish. Hmm. And that is the setup for, for Secret Wars. But also the setup for what is to follow. Uh, so the, the subsequent issues of the thing where he is in Battle World and subsequent issues of Fantastic Four where Alicia kind of gets over the loss of Ben super quickly. Mm-hmm. Makes more sense. There's been a lot of groundwork laid in the thing issues. Okay. That's really helpful to know. And let me ask you, Graham, if you don't mind... Isn't it my recollection is is that Byrne is kind of trying to have it both ways because I swear that I could remember after the Annihilus issues where the FF come back from the negative zone, you have it ends with Ben being like, Oh my god, Alicia, Alicia, holy shit! And of course, everyone being like, Oh crap, Franklin, Franklin. And then the next issue literally has Johnny Storm being showing up for like to look at apartments with uh you know, his female supporting cast and being like, yeah, everyone's fine. It's not a big deal. Like they were in the hospital and then they got out. Like it really which, gets which downplayed is, yeah. in the FF. But in the, in the thing title is very much not the case. At least she's in the hospital for a long time. Mm-hmm. So an, an incredibly long time. It, is it kind of, is it, is it burn having it both ways or is this supposed to be what he's thinking is a very deliberate take on Johnny's, like, just not that's, necessarily that's, being... That's never that's never addressed. Okay. Because you can definitely read it as Johnny is just being cavalier and mm-hmm. basically isn't noticing. Right. But that doesn't really make sense because Franklin also went through shit. Yes. And he's very specific about saying, I visited Franklin the first couple of days every day, but he's basically fine. You know, like, Byrne really downplays it in that issue of the FF. Uh, and then it's interesting to me that over in The Thing, because later, as you know, for this episode, there's a scene, I guess, in issue 269 or 270 between Alicia and Johnny, where Alicia says, basically, the things that you're talking about, where she's like, yeah, I was in the hospital for five months, and it really took me, that's why my hair is short, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, it was? Like, it's not... This really does come out of nowhere within the context it's, of the it's, Fantastic Four. It's really strange because the thing becomes pretty much from like issue two through issue ten becomes the second Fantastic Four book. In a couple of issues of the thing, the Puppet Master comes back hmm. from from being stuck in the tiny house, the tiny village, right? With with Doctor Doom. Mm-hmm. And there's those like follow up on that, which doesn't happen in the Fantastic Four title either. Wow. But it's clearly a Fantastic Four story. Right. 
-hmm. Like the thing becomes this really strange second title Mm -hmm. where it's as much a Fantastic Four book as it is a solo title Hmm. because it's it's very much interested in the same things. Mm -hmm. No pun intended. And even post issue 10 of the thing Mm -hmm. where he's on Battle World, like there is a Fantastic Four crossover issue coming up (laughs) in it. Uh, And then the... Like the resolution of what happens to the thing on Battleworld is really important to Fantastic Four uh, mythology, even though it's never mentioned again. Huh. But but uh, John Byrne essentially comes up with a reason why some of the cures for Ben worked and some didn't. Right. Okay. Interesting. Like he, he comes up with a working theory of Ben Grimm's relationship to the thing mm-hmm. in the, the final issues of the Battleworld storyline. That is, I mean, it's just wacky as shit, mm-hmm. but also dramatically changes. Like it, it, it's a, it's kind of a retcon mm-hmm. for Reed and Ben's relationship, hmm. which explains why Ben doesn't stay with the team when he comes back. Mm-hmm. Which you know becomes, uh, if you're only reading Fantastic Four, like you would have no idea why that didn't happen, you know? Right. So it, it, it's uh the thing is a very strange title. In, in relation to Fantastic Four. And I think the two questions that I have based on my memory are, one, it's from the start, it's just burn writing and is it Ron Wilson drawing? Yep. Okay. And the second question is, despite that, it still sort of has the burn levels of tedium that we have here in the contest oh, oh yeah right if, if anything arguably more yeah okay that's that's what i recall from the times where i picked up the series on the stands are, back when there it was are, i want to say four issues on marvel unlimited mm-hmm. definitely it's got issue two which is again a, a direct crossover to to the fantastic four and is in fact the issue that deals with Franklin and Alicia being taken to the hospital after Nihilus in the first place. Oh, interesting. Okay. That, uh, I, I would again, like to look this up. It, yeah. Again, it's not mentioned in the Fantastic Four mm-hmm, title list, mm-hmm. but is like the direct sequel to the story. Really um, weird. But, but, you, but when you read it, like it's on Marvel Unlimited, so it's worth reading. Mm-hmm. But you'll also be like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> and then this is everything I don't like about John Burns. John writing. Burns, yeah, writing exactly. Just yeah. And then I guess my final question, and this is not fair, and feel free to answer this, not answer this. But do you, did you buy the back issues? Was there a collection yeah. you checked out of the no, library? I, or? No, I, I bought the back issues. Wow. Uh, you know my love of like one dollar mm-hmm. back issues. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's, uh, what's it called? It's called something like Doctor Frankenstein's. <laughs> swap meet or something that oh, they do right. right right exactly um, and and they had a bunch of them wow wow that's fabulous hmm. okay so now that we're caught up on that let's talk about the weirdness slash dullness that is issue 265 okay so the, the, as 265 opens the fantastic four are are to all intents purpose missing missing and there is an alarm going off because that's what happens when the Fantastic Four goes missing. Exactly. <laughs> boop, boop, boop. Um, and now it's over. But because of this, and, and the way that Secret Wars was, was structured in the Marvel line at the time, there was meant to be like almost an issue of your main character is missing from your book. Yeah. This really comes over most of all in the Avengers issues, mm-hmm. where they only got rid of half the Avengers. So they get to do an issue where half the Avengers are missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
in Fantastic Four, what you get are two stories. Yes. Uh, one of which is called The House That Rebuilt and features none of the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second which is called Homer the Heroes, which features, for the most part, Sue going, where are the other members of the cast? Um, until the last couple of pages. Yeah. Let's very quickly go through The House That Rebuilt because I can start it out in this one sentence. It's the trapster breaking into Fantastic Four only to be captured, as seen from the point of view of the trapster. And it's just the wackiest, longest waste of space. Yeah, it's it's interesting that uh, as as everyone remembers, Burns started off his run uh, on the FF with some very uh, Will Eisner influenced issues, and the house that Reed built actually feels a lot like another Eisner influenced issue in that it is if Eisner was terrible. Yeah, exactly. It in it the feels sense... like I'm influenced by someone who might have read about Eisner, but never actually read an Eisner story. Yeah. Although I think uh, what is the issue where it's uh, again, like this, it's told from through literally through the eyes of the, of the narrator, right? There, there is a spirit story like that. Byrne, Byrne has a few other things going on where he cheats by using cutaways to... It's, there, uh, there's a second narrative that pops up, which is essentially the Baxter building itself, which is uh, monitors the Trapster at points that just happen to polit, you know, expediently help locate the um, character in space and time for the story to make sense. Uh and essentially, it's it's a very it's a very burn story in the sense that you have the trapster break into the Baxter building. The Baxter building is so awesome because it has been built and designed by Reed Richards, who is awesome. That the trapster literally uh, gets beaten by the building. In fact, I think what's the big story point? Um, we were able to deal with him easily. And as the trapster put it, I can't get beat by an empty building. And yet he does. And so, uh, again, should be Eisner-ish, but the combination of being boring and pedantic and in a weird way actually saying like, oh yeah, the trapster, he's a joke character. Never take him seriously ever again. And shame on those of you who ever did. Uh, Is weirdly... It's deflationary, I guess. I don't know. It's just well, it's, it, it's what's, like... what's really funny is is the start, like maybe the first half of the issue, mm-hmm. plays up like the trapster self mythology. Like I'm so great, I've broken into the Baxter building, and then then it's like, and he got defeated because he literally stepped on a fucking toy car, yeah, and fell over, yeah, and it's, you know, yeah, which is just what is it even doing? Like maybe it's meant to be funny slapstick, mm-hmm. but it the the tonal shift does not work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it 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 it's again, it's that weirdo. You just can't. That if you're not being generous, and believe me, after you read this story, you will not be. It's very much like burn. Just it feels like there's something pedantic and picky in here. Like it's kind of sort of the same way that Galactus is that Nova is designed to be the last herald of Galactus forever. I feel that burn is like. Okay, I'm doing this formally formalistically narrative Will Eisner ripoff so that everyone will see that I'm just as good as Frank Miller story that is going to put to death once and for all the 
supervillains breaking into the Baxter building trope is dead. It is dead, 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 dead because the entire building has been designed to be just so goddamn much of a fortress uh, that no one can break in. Not even this person that I'm going to deflate and turn into a clown by the end just so that I feel like the story has some sort of point or total shift. Weirdly enough, Burn getting the giving you the sense that Burn is not really paying doesn't necessarily have his eye on the prize that much. In just a few issues, we'll have Johnny more or less walk the She-Hulk through the Baxter building and explain all of the stuff that the Trapster encounters in an even more boring fashion, thus making you feel that Burn really is going to make you suffer for all the time that he spent sketching out those Baxter building pages. He is going to make you pay. So <laughs> what I, th I think is, is notable about the, the Trapster story is it's not that no one can break into the Baxter building. It's that the Baxter, but once you have broken in, yes. you're still screwed. Yeah. I think that, like sorry, that's what I mean. Exactly. In. The mm -hmm. problem is yeah. that basically read a start of everything including a self-aware computer that will take care of shit right exactly yeah you know so, and it's yeah. just like yeah yeah homer the heroes meanwhile i don't know how i feel about it because it's it's incredibly uh filler mm -hmm. it's dramatic but i actually really liked it what okay yeah tell I, me I more i really do i like it because working with the parameters of you have to basically not have the team mm -hmm. for the majority of the story. Uh, I love passive aggressive Jarvis at the start. <laughs> yes. Oh, he's hilariously passive aggressive. Yeah. Don't even touch what I'm cooking. Oh, I'll have to make adjustments now. No, it's fine. You can leave. <laughs> um, and, and listeners, I'm only vaguely paraphrasing that scene. Yeah. That you then have the flashback to this is like the team has disappeared, which makes sense on a technical level because they didn't disappear in the Fantastic Four comic. And if you're not reading the thing, mm -hmm. then you, you want to know where the, the FF are. But there's something... This is the... Uh, the slice of life bit that works for me in a way that the, the opening pages of R&R don't. Mm. See, seeing them basically... Seeing Sue and Alicia and Franklin try and go about their day-to-day, -day, but in a state of heightened concern uh -huh. works for me and surprisingly huh. what what doesn't work for me interestingly enough is the speediness of the story after the rest of the team come back uh -huh. so the rest of the team come back three pages before the end and you get a full splash of johnny reed and she hulk going we're back on earth it's great and then almost immediately Sue's like, I'm so glad you're back. I'm having massive radiation attacks mm -hmm. because of baby. And they're like, we're going to the hospital. The end. And that seems far too rushed. Like I was, I felt, I remember reading it and thinking, oh, you could have saved that to next issue. Right. Well, I get the sense and I could be wrong. Uh, the splash where the FF come back and, and it's Ben, Sue and She-Hulk wearing an FF outfit and Ben Grimm is nowhere to be found makes it the fact that it's a full pager and where its placement is next to the bullpen bulletins made me think like, oh, okay, they're like, 
it feels like the last page and then Burns doing the, aha, but I'm going to do the, no, that's not the end. The end is actually Sue is in danger and about to die. And it's a cliffhanger after all is kind of, um, if I'm being generous, uh, you know, honestly, for me, I I like the way that John Byrne draws the vision here and the way that he draws Mockingbird. And that's kind of like all I've kind really? of got Really? That, that's on. it? Oh, well, I will tell you something else I like about the story then to, to balance out your negativity. Yep. I love She-Hulk just telling Reeti's full of shit at the, on the last page. Uh Oh, yeah, that is true. So, so Sue has – Sue basically has – goes negative like as in like her uh line line art wise and reads like oh she's radioactive i will take her to hospital even though she's radioactive and i will get radiation burns and she actually goes don't be a fool reads i do love that because actually. she has mm-hmm. like and i, I love that she hulk as the newcomer is just like no right because you know that every other character in the book would be like reed you do what you have to do you are reed yeah. And it's lovely to see her come back and be like, no, are you fucking stupid? It's yeah. much better if I take care of this. Which would be wonderful if that was the dynamic that they were setting up in place. But uh... Exactly. If that continued past that page. Yeah, exactly. It, it's 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 a nice page. It, it's, it's an, well, it's not even a page. It's a nice interaction. I think this is a, uh, I mean, it's it's just weird though, because it, it's so overbalanced, even as a short. Mm-hmm. Because it is like lots of filler, lots of filler, lots of filler, lots of happening in two pages. Yeah. And happening as the second story in an issue of two stories, mm-hmm. where the first story has lots of filler, it is the most weirdly paced issue. Yeah. I can't even imagine for those people when it, reading it as it came out, being like, what? What was that? Right. Uh, but at the same time, if you're reading when it came out, this will be the first time you find out that she hulks on the team. Right. Well, and depending on your exposure to stuff, I can be, again, putting myself in the head of a hypothetical 10 or 11 year old. The idea of a character of a story being told through the eyes of a character, you know, is seems fun. It it's not fun, but it seems like it should be. (laughs) And therefore, if you're impressionable enough, you could convince yourself that it was it's still not but you know so i kind of get it i i do i i i don't feel it um and i think the people who feel it are you know god bless them but yeah it does not it doesn't really work uh 266 graham um it's 266 is amazing yeah. amazing yeah 266 i'm just going to say right now has the greatest reveal Potentially in the history of Fantastic Four. When I say greatest reveal, I don't necessarily mean that in a good way. But it has a reveal that you'll definitely recognize that it's happening and also go, what? (laughs) Call her Charisma. But because it's a supervillain name, Charisma is spelled with a K. That's right. So How should we we summarize this? uh... It's essentially failing. Yeah, it's a fill-in issue. It's very much a fill-in issue that John Byrne actually does the stories and the inks for, and Carrie Gemmel, whose name I believe is misspelled in the credits, is the guest penciler for the majority of it. Byrne sets it up there with well, yeah, sets it up with a uh, everyone's worrying over Sue. She-Hulk is like, I can't believe it. I feel so useless. I, oh my God, goodness, how terrible and rough this is. And Alicia is just like, um, 
What is strange is the way my mind keeps connecting Ben and Sue, going back to something that happened a few months ago. And this is great. Such John Byrne classic. Something so silly and insignificant compared to the many great dangers they have faced together. But now, with the worst introduction of all time, let me let you touch, see what happened over the next 18 pages. Um, so after Alicia more or less negs on her own story, we get to see the flashback <laughs> for the fill-in story, which is John and Alicia are out on the street enjoying Central Park when... You mean, you mean Ben and Alicia. <laughs> I'm sorry, what did I say? John. Ah, uh, John. John Byrne and Alicia. That would be great. He's like, here I am. He's not that much of a self-insert character thank god uh yeah ben and alicia are out uh enjoying ice cream in central park when charisma and her goons rob a bank and ben goes to stop them and then charisma lifts the veil of her um surrounding her very stylish hat revealing her face and making ben uh want to do anything that she says um, and what does Ben actually say when she lifts the veil? He actually says, Hamana, Hamana. Which is great. Which is... It's so wonderful. I do love it's that. It's so great. Well, then you've got... Uh, you've got Sue trying on wigs in a store somewhere and then hearing sirens and dashing off, maybe not paying for the goddamn wig. She basically steals a wig. Let's put it that way. Sue Richards <laughs> takes a point. She's like, I'm not sure if my husband's ready for a redhead. And then cars go by. And she's like, okay, see ya. And you see her fly out onto the street. The fucking wig falls in the street. Sue Richards, kleptomaniac. I would love to see that story. Uh, but instead... We a get... great kleptomaniac, though. She just makes everything fucking invisible. Well, see, there Nobody you has go. Any and then when she gets caught, it's like, it'd be great. It's like the Winona Ryder story all over again. And it's like, oh, the pathos. You know? It's... It actually would not be that great, but so so it's more Don't or less get that in your own story. Nah, it's Ben versus uh, Sue Richards, Invisible Woman, and since it's Burn, uh, Sue's actually very very formidable in it, and it feels like actually a pretty decent no holds barred fight between the two of them, considering. Sue's basically doing all she can to sort of more or less survive. So the story actually feels dramatic, which, again, even though Alicia's crapping on it and Burns like, eh, dash this off for my thing, you know, this is my thing drawer story in case we, uh, you know, I miss a deadline, is like, oh, I'll put it in here. It still has more drama than the last three or four issues of the FF, um, uh, up at least up until the end, where Sue manages to is this the reveal that you're talking about because that reveal was really i don't understand what the reveal is is the reveal uh, the... the reveal is when she makes the veil invisible and you get to see well before she makes the reveal invisible you get the backstory of charisma yeah which comes via om omniscient narrator because there's no way to actually work this into the story itself yeah only a few weeks ago she was not the glamorous femme fatale she is now just like to point out, it says Glamorous Femme Fatale. At this point, you've still not seen her face. So all you know is she's wearing a slinky old school dress that is uh, cut up to her thigh. Yeah, she basically looks a little bit like Alarming Grandma. She was only Mary Brown, a plain and simple name for one who saw herself as a plain and simple woman. She worked then for as a researcher for the Gaylord Cosmetic Corporation. It was there she made her discovery. And discovery was the makeup 
that is radioactive and turns people irresistible. Mm-hmm. Okay? This obviously is what gives her her power. So when Sue then makes the veil invisible, also, why would you do that? Yeah. Like, what... Like, I understand the narrative sense in that it, John Byrne needs to make the reveal, but why would Sue decide that making her veil invisible is a good combat tactic? Who knows? Anyway, she does, and what you see is this woman is literally covered in makeup, by which I mean she has smeared it all over herself, and she looks like a, like a mannequin gone horribly wrong and melted. But that's... That's not. See, I was about to say that's not the. Uh, maybe I misunderstood, but that's not the makeup. The, that's the radiation burns from the makeup. Oh, is it? See, that's. Yeah. I didn't get that. I literally thought that was just the makeup. Oh, it's not as funny now, Jeff. You've ruined the story. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you were like, "This reveal is amazing." I'm like, "No, the reveal is." And maybe I misunderstand. It would be awesome uh, no, if I she's like completely. You're probably right because yeah. that makes more sense. <laughs> I thought. I honestly thought that the reveal was like a gag that she had caked herself with makeup, and the people thought that she was irresistible. Oh, Graham, that's the best. Well, yeah, sort of this, <laughs> sort of the same thing, except You're with less the story comically. For me now. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it, it's also, in fact, the way when you reread that panel, I'm like, oh, sees herself as a plain and simple woman. It's it's Byrne doing a little bit of the the Doctor Doom take a little bit is that she actually was pretty before and in her quest to make herself beautiful she has in fact um scarred herself forever even though she is now irresistible she is in fact ugly so there's there's all these there's all these levels going on anyway sue figures out what she should have figured out by page two which is just turn the chick's head invisible and then she no longer has the radioactive power which must be and again this is great because this really is the part of burn nerd stuff that i like where he's sue's like because she has to lift the veil to show people this is actually a radioactive influence that is responsive to light and therefore if i just make her head disappear her effect is going to fade and i'm like Wow, sort of brilliant, but wasn't the whole point that these people were under her spell even when her face was covered before? So, huh? Shh. You know? Like, I'm kind of like... Who was there? Mm. There's a... Jeff, we all know there's a difference between covering something up and making it invisible. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed there is. There's a very important difference, okay? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, so we get to the end of the story, and Alicia's like... Uh, oh, and then there's the uh, there's like a, a pun that is so fanboyish and awful. And then She-Hulk is like, ha, ha, that's really funny. I didn't know Sue had that kind of sense of humor. And I'm just like, mm. wait, are you not even going to say the pun? No, I hate it so much. Are you going to say it? <laughs> oh, I, I'm, you can't you can't set it up and not say the pun. People haven't read this comic. I think that's the, the thing. I'm is, saving it for them. The pun is oh, God. that Sue says that charisma was a hem, and she actually has a hem in her dialogue, cosmetically aware. Did you get it? I honestly think that Byrne came up with that pun first. And then came up with the rest, the rest of the story issue. As a, yeah. yeah, to set it up. Yeah. That actually would make sense, because part of me is like, that doesn't, what? No? I mean, you know, again, it's, it's, ugh, anyway. Yeah. 
That just doesn't do it for me, Graham. I got to admit. And I am a guy who likes a terrible pun. That one just doesn't even seem contextually. Again, it's it's a Marvel Comics pun. This is a shaggy dog story in which the punchline actually only makes sense if you follow a different comic book. So, hooray. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, yeah. anyway, the end of the issue after Alicia has given the fill-in yep. uh, is that... The Doctor, who is Dr. Walter Lankowski. Yes. A.K.A. Sasquatch of Alpha Flight. Hope you're all reading, everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, explains that Sue is, is almost dead because of radiation. And there is one person, one person who is well known in the Marvel Universe to be all about fucking radiation. And he's the only man who can help. It's Dr. Octopus. Because since fucking when was Dr. Optimus all about radiation? He, But he was, though. That's actually a pretty good deep nerd shout-out. Like, but, but, like, ever since he became Dr. Octopus, did anyone ever think, yeah, he's the radiation guy? No. You tell me there's no other character in the entire Marvel Universe that, that would fit better? It feels like such a nerd shout-out that I'm like, oh, come on. Oh, but Graham, this is what I'm saying. We're sort of we've we are glass. We're way exactly. We're through the looking glass, people. We're in like deep burn nerdtopia where he's like, yeah, I am doing the Doc Ock fighting Mister Fantastic, which I always thought since the age of eleven would be the most awesome fight ever issue. And I'm going to do it by pointing out that Doc Ock was a radiation expert and therefore Reed Richards needs him in order to save Sue Richards. Uh, And I'm going to deal the devastating last page punch up that Graham and I have been underwhelmed with. I don't know about Graham, but I've been underwhelmed with it for 33 years now and even more underwhelmed with it now. Wait, are you talking about 267? The end of 267? Yeah, the end of 267. I'm basically setting uh, okay. up 267. Let's, yeah, let's quote, do 267. Terms. Go, A Graham. small loss. <laughs> A small loss. What it is, everyone, Dr. Octopus turns out to be tiny this time around. Yes. And he loses. That's what it's all about. This, I mean, this comic is just horrible. I mean, genuinely, seriously, this comic is such a terrible, 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 terrible terrible tonal misfire hmm. like the I, I i have the short version is exactly what jeff was just telling you reed has to get together with dr octopus he goes and gets him at the mental hospital and says you have to help me you you know radiation right and even though i am like the world's fucking most genius mm. i need your help because my wife's really sick with radiation poisoning. And Dr. Octopus is like, oh, I don't like arms, but okay, sure. Then he sees a picture of Spider-Man and goes, ah, ha, ha, I forgot. I'm an evil villain and I will try and kill you. So they fight in, it's a pretty dumb fight, right? Yeah. Basically. Uh, and it's a fight that ends hilariously with Reed Richards just stretching his arm to get to Dr. Octopus's own controls and switching off his arms, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the time they finally get to the hospital it's too late <laughs> and the doctor comes out and says that Sue is fine and then the final page is a tiny picture a small loss, do you get it? Uh, with a solid black surround where the doctor says but I'm afraid she lost the baby a little over 30 minutes ago 
I hate it. I hate it so much. I I cannot tell you how much I hate this reveal. You know, it's interesting. Uh, is I also hate it. Didn't like it then. Don't like it now. Uh, interestingly enough, on Marvel Unlimited, uh, they've had you know they have creators pick their favorite books off Marvel Unlimited, which is a little feature they seem to update every couple of weeks. Cut Al Ewing's little list of recommended books, which I enjoyed, and David Walker, who's um, about our age, apparently a little younger, I guess, uh, is talking about some of his favorite books, and his picks are pretty great. He has this one as like this was a all time classic issue with like a shock ending that just fucks you up forever and still works. And I'm like, so you know, people don't necessarily listen to us, listen to David Walker. That being said, I'm profound profoundly at a loss to figure out how he could, unless he's much younger than both of us, how he could think so. Because it's, I don't even know if it's just tonally wrong. It's just maybe back in 84, people who were reading superhero comics, the whole idea is that the FF lose, you know, Mr. Fantastic, who always wins and who we see in full on readophilic uh, stages in that we show him they actually have the psychiatrist being like Reed Richards is brilliant I don't even think he's studied psychotherapy and here he's actually doing a special technique that has allowed years of therapy to happen in seconds just by him saying Dr. Octavius over and over again to reaffirm his lost identity, which is like, okay, sure. Yeah, fine. But the fact that everyone's just, it's being slathered with the, the, the special particular form of love mayo that many writers have for Reed Richards would be, I don't know. At this point, I'm like, I think Burns like, no, I was doing that on purpose to make the loss feel like more of a loss at the end. He really does lose uh i still don't i still don't like there's so many things i don't like about it i don't like about it the one the only thing that freaked me out about it this time was like oh god what if this inspired watchmen because in my brain and this sounds perverse i always uh conflate this issue as coming out around the time that watchmen was coming out but this is june of no it's, it's like a, yeah, it's, it's two it's years before yeah two years earlier before you get the classic um, reveal of, you know, I'm not a Republic serial movie villain, Dan. I did it 30 minutes ago, which really has an amazing punch in the course of Watchmen. I wonder if Alan Moore was sitting here, you know, smoking his doobs over in his English apartment being like, hold on, this John Burns really got something, you know. I, it happened half an hour before. It's, yeah, it's just... Mm -hmm. Oh, I mean, it's just it's just horrible. It's horrible. Um, my my big problem with it, really, besides the fact that I think that Burn outsmarted himself with, ha ha, everyone thinks that Reed's great, but he's lost more than anyone could ever know. Mm -hmm. Is I honestly think like a miscarriage, and in particular the cosmic radiation miscarriage that is mm -hmm. this plot, mm -hmm. is far too heavy for the series and interesting I, yeah I, I i i can't like it pulls me out in a way that i can never fully get back in hmm. do you know what i mean and and knowing what they do later with it 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 feels it feels too tragic to me 
and and the the subsequent issues where you get Sue Sue's reaction to it, and the for that matter, the other characters' reactions to it, feel really like offensively flat. Like the fact that you go from this issue where you know this terrible thing happens Mm -hmm. to the next issue where they're all fucking fighting, you know, Doctor Doom's flying mask. Feels like offensively cartoonish, and you know, you then get Sue basically being angry, which I think is is fine, mm-hmm. but it's handled with such a lack of tact. Yeah, sure, it's handled with lack of tact. But I, okay, the thing that actually sort of bothers me in particular about this issue is the later issues, which you you think which you don't like, and you kind of find flat. Well, and I, admittedly, I, here's I, the- I uh-huh. actually liked later issues. Like, we're saying this before we start recording. Yeah. Like, the, the ones where you get Sue being angry and everything, I think are good issues. I like those. I like it's that. Like that, mm-hmm. is, that entire plot. Yeah. The, the entire plot is it, it, it is it goes too far for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, you know, I've, I don't want to be like, well, you can't do anything serious with superheroes. Because I don't believe that. But I do think that doing... Uh, using miscarriages as the plot engine for Sue is going to get angry, she will become malice, and then she'll call herself the Invisible Woman. There, it's had a happy ending, which right. is the character arc that this is this starts. That's what I was afraid it would be. Feels yeah, feels very like feels horrible and feels offensive. Well, and, and yeah. really sensationalistic. Okay. I, I maybe who knows. See, because taken taken as someone who doesn't know necessarily what's coming next, I mean, I know about the appearance of Malice, had no idea to what extent it ties into this. But the issues where Sue is angry and defensive, and there's a few pages where Byrne has her un- kind of unpack her feelings in typical comic book thought bubble self-exposition, uh, is for me like kind of fertile like burns i think what i find fascinating about burn is is that his um i and i i know i only half remember this so that i could be wrong sort of the same way that he you know took wolverine uh of the x-men and goes on to boast how wolverine was the least popular character when burn came on the book and ends up being the most popular character by the time that burn leaves that he's going to do something similar with the invisible with sue richards throughout his run um the thing that bothers me about 267 is is that for a book where john burn is trying to take sue seriously and point out that she's the most important member of the team and just because she has a traditional quote-unquote traditional role within the ff in the family um doesn't make her in any way less of a feminist in other words all these ways in which john Byrne acts like he is interested in sue as a character 267 says a lot of not great stuff about the male psyche and uh, I don't know, like it, it's all about Reed in 267. 
you know it's, well, yeah, it's all, all about it's all about reads like mm-hmm. for the the entire story yeah like yeah. like e- even the the beginnings of 268 mm-hmm. like I, I feel like it focuses much more on the responses of everyone around sue than sue herself yeah sue gets a little moment and it, to me sue, I'm sue, like, basically, sue basically is like oh shit i don't know how that happened and everyone else is like oh but reads yes exactly and so there is something despite that i like the i like in theory what feels like some nuance that burn is trying to shoot for and and for myself i guess i like the idea of i'm not a big fan of the classic stories that i just have no patience for and i find tedious beyond the extreme is the neil adams denny o'neill Green Arrow, Green Lantern, drug issues. You know, like yeah. their their approach to to comic book relevance, that sort of stuff. Just I've never liked. It generally skeeves me out. But as someone who reads comics for characters and also for the weird ways in which fantastic events can sort of parallel mundane realities when when it happens right and sometimes it happens completely accidentally i sort of like the i like the idea that what out of all the ridiculous ways that we've seen the fantastic four get you know pulled apart or never has the team been more threatened than blah 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 the idea of something as i don't want to say mundane as a miscarriage but as something that is people in real life are likely to encounter there's a way i like the idea of it i like the idea that there is something even though it's more or less amped up with all of its trappings the idea that everyone in the culture is so programmed to look at the guy and the idea that birth and legacy is so important to a man. And really, when you get right down to it, that's why they're married to a woman. And that's what marriage is all about. And yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. All that kind of creepy, crappy stuff, I think. Um, getting played out in these issues and it leading to that sort of potential chasm of like, oh, the team's about ready to fall apart. I see why you're like, that's totally wrong. That's completely out of place. But as for a dude who was never more interested in the FF, at least in the abstract, as during way back when the separation and divorce issues, uh, I part of me is like, yeah, this, is, this should be kind of potentially fecund ground. What creeps me out about 267, apart from this whole thing of Burn being like, yeah, this is my chance to finally do my Mr. Fantastic versus Dr. Octopus story I've always wanted to do, is how much Burns' interest in Sue really does feel like a sham. Like, we have seen... Burn really brings back Reed Richards is the best, most interesting, most important character in the Fantastic Four, you know. Bring that back and double down on it. It's kind of appalling to me that assuming that when... that considering it's such a big deal that Sue and Reed bang in the negative zone over a year ago, close to a year and a half earlier, Burns setting up what he thinks is going to be the, I assume he he's consciously doing it to set up this storyline. This storyline really does sort of, I feel 
undermine anything that Byrne has accomplished with Sue for myself because it just feels like I don't know how to describe it. It's like, oh, but this is what's really important. What's really important is what the guy can do and has to do and fails. It's this whole uh, gross. It's, it's a masculine story. Right. The, the issue The issue is what the guy has to do to save his child. It, and yes. And he fails. And he fails. And it's such a co-option. Like Sue isn't in the issue. No, she she's not at all. She's no more than she has gone from like John Byrne, like I'm going to make her the most interesting character of the FF, to being what John Byrne really probably does think of women, and God help me, a lot of men of the era did, which is this is a plot point, you know, this this person. So, Sue Sue is an object. Sue is story. an object, absolutely, in in a way that is so absolutely assumed completely in the in the storyline this is a much more veiled version of the creepiness that we you know go on to talk about in avengers 200 where uh where everything that a a woman's actual existence in the world is so quickly disposed of in favor of a male narrative it's 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 kind of breathtakingly gross. And that's it. I really just find 267. It's weird. I'm like, you're like, yeah, totally it's wrong. I'm like, it's just gross. It's gross in the way <laughs> that the that the male narrative so naturally is assumed. Um, well, it's I, taken for granted I, is going to subsume the female narrative. That it's, yes, that it's and, and also... Let's continue the grossness, Jeff, into yeah. 268. Yes, please. Because 268 starts with everyone assembled around Sue in the hospital. Mm-hmm. But it's not about that. It's about just three pages later, Reed staring down Dr. Octopus. Yeah. And say that he's going to calm down because you know I'm a man of my words and you know I will not rest until you are properly incarcerated. Do I make myself clear? Yeah, it's just like all of a sudden we are back in the like read as alpha male thing. Mm-hmm. Just like three pages after yeah. Sue is given two lines of dialogue mm-hmm. to deal with the fact that she just miscarried. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. Again, that mm-hmm. is that not like the entire appearance of Sue in this issue? Yes. I think it is. Yeah. Yep. Because John Byrne is like. Yep. John Byrne's way more into like, oh my god, I'm gonna have to show, check it out, y'all. Johnny's gonna show She-Hulk how the fucking doors work. You know, like that is literally and, more important and, to John here's Byrne. The, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Part of me thinks, first of all, it's the weirdest issue to follow up. Like you end your previous issue with, she's had a miscarriage, mm-hmm. and you start like, and your next issue is like, it's the wacky story. Of Johnny showing She-Hulk the Baxter building, and then they get attacked by a flying mask. Yeah. Like, no. Obviously not, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's Clearly, that's not what you do. Yeah. That's a terrible idea. But at the same time, part of me is like, yeah, but that latter story is the story I want to read in a Fantastic Four comic. Sure. Right, you know right. I, mean? I see what like, you're it's, saying. It's, right, mm-hmm. It's the strangest thing where I'm like, that's not where the story goes. Like, given the previous issue's cliffhanger, that's not what this issue should be. However, 
what this issue should be feels like a Fantastic Four story much more than what this issue really should be. Mm-hmm. Right, right, from what it should be. I see what you're saying. And in that sense, 267 should take the characters down a road that I want to see that, as you point out, is not quite right for the characters. And I'm, I'm willing to concede that, especially more willingly, especially after seeing how the divorce separation issues were actually handled. Uh, even though I admit I want to see them. But yeah, you're right. It's it's the weird thing is, is Byrne then goes on to, by and large, ignore it slash the the what he uses it I mean you get a, you get a scene in 269. Mm-hmm. I like the scene in 269. Yeah. I wish it had been in 269. Scene with Franklin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two scene Sue scene in 269 with Franklin is actually it's the it's the way you should follow up the story. Yeah. But the thing is you all of 268 should be I don't want to say that scene, mm-hmm. but it should be variations on that scene. It should be the characters actually coming. And when I say the characters, I mean Reed and Sue, and I really mean Sue, yeah. coming to terms with what has happened. Well, and and perhaps more to your point, I do have to say, Graham, you're right. When we talk about liking these issues more, honestly, I liked everything up to 267. 267, 268, 269, and 270, I would have to say I dislike more than the issues that preceded even though there's bits and pieces that I like. Arguably I really, because 269 and 270, I really like. Ugh, I ter- really like 269 really? and 270. We should, let's go through 268 super quickly. Uh, it really is. They, Sue gets two lines of dialogue to talk about what's happened to her, but it'd be much better to see the Hulk and Dr. Octopus stare down each other and then Reed calms them down because he is the alpha male, you guys. Yep. He can stare down Hulk and Dr. Octopus. Do you get it? Just because he's lost the kids, it doesn't mean that he's not the alpha male. He then instructs Johnny and She-Hulk that they should go back to the Baxter building because Reed's still in charge, you guys. They go back to the Baxter building. Uh, She-Hulk gets to fill everyone in on her origin story in case uh, people don't know that. We get, as you said before, a another terrible, like, let's walk through the Baxter building mm-hmm. scene because I guess we have to. Um and as part of that, we see Dr. Doom's old mask, which in a later scene, after we've cut to the uh, Connecticut home of Reed and Sue Richards, where someone is being nosy and spying through their window, you see the Dr. Doom mask attack Johnny and the She-Hulk. And then Reed comes home, because again, Reed's the guy in charge. Do you get it? He might have mm-hmm. lost a kid, but that doesn't matter. He can press a button to cut off Wi-Fi. I mean, what the fuck? Um, and the mask goes dead, and he's like, hmm, things could be happening. Oh, intrigue. The end. Well, again, is also something that really bothers me is like, oh, someone active with the Dr. Doom's mask. What can this mean? Fuck if we know, because we're never going to actively investigate something weird that happens. We're just going to let it, like, fester like an open wound until it's time for it to actually the, the storyline to get a, come to fruition drives me crazy. Uh, so yeah, that's issue 268. And um, I don't know, it's terrible. But yeah, like you said, it's especially terrible compared to 267. What's weird is you get lots of shots of uh, 
both the She-Hulk and, and the Human Torch get flung ass over Tea Kettle. Um, and despite the fact that Byrne is more or less saying, like, this is a serious story, you know, because normally when Byrne is not, he's going to be like, hey, guys, waka waka. It is more of a comical story being told straight facedly. Like, if you want to yeah. put out the idea that there's an actual something's happening where things are dangerous and at stakes, maybe not having comical pratfalls from your two characters that are being attacked by, you know, let's face it, a flying piece of crap uh, is is not really the way to do it. Like, it really does. It's It's a very minimizing issue in many ways. And I don't even know if... And this is it. For me, as we move into issues 269 and 270 literally to me in many ways read like a two-part story of the very thing that Byrne has repudiated in his bullshit issue 249 issue. Don't you think? Like, uh, Unpack that. I'm not sure what you're saying. Well, in issue 249, you, if I remember, if unless I'm misquoting the wrong issue, you have a dashed off uh, fill-in story by Byrne called Nightmare where... Reed... Oh, no, 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 no. Your uh, 249 is the... Oh, uh, sorry, 248, then. The is it 248? Yeah, thing. sorry. So it's 248, the issue before the Gladiator starts up. 248 is the fill-in issue where essentially, for whatever reason, John Burns like, yeah, you could have a ginormous fucking character like run around that's like a thousand fucking miles tall, but not only would you have to break millions of scientific laws to actually have that happen it's really not interesting you guys there's no real point to it it's just there's burns little mini manifesto of i swear there will not be spectacle just for the sake of spectacle uh is more or less broken i feel by issue 269 and 270 where you bring terminus a character that is so fucking big oh my god you guys he's so fucking big and just like in galactus most he's of the so story big is they spent... think he's a spaceship which i actually do think is funny i, I it's sort of funny yeah i mean i kind of like the little kirby technology but then once he stands up and he's like i am super big i'm like who gives a shit like honestly the only thing that i like in 269 and 270 is burns graphic design chops for things like some of the logo the logo of Skyfall with a very Art Adamsy uh Wyatt Wingfoot on a power tricycle underneath I, it. I I love first of all, I love that Wyatt's back. Yeah. I love that it's called Skyfall. Yep. Uh it does tumble and yep. they do stand tall. <laughs> uh the nice is just called Planetfall. I also actually like that. I like that it's Skyfall and Planetfall. Like mm -hmm. I God knows why. I like the subplot in this in in two sixty eight two sixty nine rather. I like the the oh look Johnny and Alicia are getting closer. I like the Sue scene as I said, mm -hmm. even though I yeah. think that like the entire plot is is not good. But I like I like Sue essentially being fragile. Mm -hmm. You know that she's she is still at a loss for what happened and is angry and almost takes it out on Franklin and then tries to um, basically just be polite mm -hmm. with She-Hulk and Reed. Mm -hmm. Like there's, I, I like that scene a lot. Uh, I, in general, I, I like it. I like that Sue then loses her shit when she's left behind. Yeah. You know, I, I think that that's a nice moment. 
I I like that they think the Terminus is a spaceship because he's so big. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I just I like the issue. There's there's things that are dumb. I love that you know Reed has a translator that will translate everything. <laughs> you know, right. it's like mm, this is definitely what he means. There's no way my machine mistranslated the Sailor language that I'd never seen. Also, for that matter, that he sees random patterns across the country and he's like it's obviously an alien language you guys yeah why like that makes no sense yep but but as a gimme like sure i like i like this issue i think this issue is super strong yeah i i I do not but in in the same way the little bits that i like which seems to be how i'm approaching most of these issues is like for whatever reason i'm just into the bits I like some of the bits in here very much, but the whole I'm I'm tired of like oh there's a natural disaster that heralds a giant thing, and then oh the giant thing is someone who's going to kick the ass of the world and what's the FF going to do? I feel like we've seen it before. I feel like it's kind of dull, and I feel like Burns oh, we've himself seen it, we've was already sort so of many... repudiated it. So yeah, seen it before so many times, and we've seen it so many times in Burns' run. Yeah. Right, like this is this is burn setup issue mark one. Mm-hmm. You know there are natural disasters. Will it possibly lead to a new alien threat in the next issue? Yeah, more than likely. Right, but but it's it still works for me. I like the classics, Jeff. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. Normally, I don't have problems with it, but at a certain point, I'm just like, nah. I think because again, burn has. <sighs> I feel like Burns' big thing is like, hey, you guys, I can draw to scale. And that's all he's really doing here. He's like, oh, see? He's so big. Look, I can actually draw how big he is and work someone down in the little bottom of the panel. Look at me. I'm such a good drawer. But when it comes to the dynamic tensions, he's always, it's always just, it's dull. No one's ever going to, like, fucking punch Terminus in the face. Like, they, I forget, do they, like, undo him by slapping Reed's Deus Ex Machina set up at painful length in the last issue on his head, right? That's all that basically happens. Yeah, yeah like, literally, literally just placing it on his head as well. Yeah. Like, not doing anything, I was just being like, oh, this thing, bloop, yeah. done. It, yeah, and it, it's like, hey, She-Hulk distracted by throwing this big thing on him and then bloop. It's... It's. I just. I just think that. That. Like I said, Burns. Like I can draw the scale, but I also am aware that I'm enough of a realist to be like, can't really punch someone because that's not going to do shit. So it's a lot of not doing shit. A lot of not doing shit. And I'm not sure how I feel about a. a of course, this is the, the Johnny Alicia relationship, which, the, is not the way that I would want to go with it. Honestly, I. I kind well, of tough luck. Yeah. Because everything yep. from here on in, Jeff. Yeah, doubles down amazing. on this. Yeah, no, I know. Holy, holy shit. Yeah. Like, you know where it ends up, right? Not really yes and no. I mean... Okay, I'm I'm not going to ruin it for you, you but yeah. it is astounding. Let's put it this way. Astounding. It, it... I have to give it credit because the scenes with Johnny and Alicia here go from, oh, this is some nice character work from Burn to like, ah, oh, Jesus, like, ugh, this is like reading Flowers in the Attic all over again, you know? Like in a very short period of time. 
Like, I kind of, part of me is like, the idea of Johnny having a crush on Alicia, an unfounded crush, is actually, I'm like, that makes sense. It plays out. It could lead to some tensions, et cetera, et cetera. Storylines, a go-go. But when Alicia kisses Johnny, it's like, I'm just like, ugh. No. Gross. No, no, no. It's no. Gross. The no is Burns writing. Yeah. From well, issue 270, Planetfall. Alicia's cap. She forgot it. Thinks Johnny. The narration then goes, his intention is to chase after her. But as he takes the cap from its peg, uh, for an instant, a whiff of perfume floats by him, her perfume. And the thought drifts through his mind that she might not have forgotten it, that she might have left it deliberately as an excuse to return later. Mm -hmm. His head is swimming as he operates the lever that opens the skylight. Phantom thoughts <laughs> darts and soar through his consciousness, images that defy words and deeply trouble him. Confused, he seeks the familiar sensations of his power. But it is a little solace. For the human torch has at last identified the tension he felt earlier in Alicia Master's presence. Since he turned 16, Johnny has spent a great proportion of his life in fruitless search for the perfect woman. An unending stream of failed relationships has been his reward. And now he is confused and not a little frightened by the dawning realization that in all these years he might have failed to find his perfect woman because she was standing too close. Oh, God, no! <laughs> Oh no! Save us from fucking trying to be sensitive, John Byrne. <laughs> I don't know. I think this is where you and I are uh, uh, part ways. Because I'm like, first off, sort of in the same way that Terror in a Tiny Town um, ends up with Byrne kind of poking at the, trying, basically talking about superheroes and sexuality and. Um, in a way that I'm like, huh, that's kind of interesting to me. Like, there's part here's of me where the, I'm like, here's yep. the breakdown between us. You actually are into superheroes and sexuality, where I'm like, nope, I can keep those two things separate. Thanks very much. I can, I, 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 I can, yes. want to think about how the thing fucks. I, I, well, no, no, I that. Exactly. like, does Doctor Doom jerk off in his armor? Who knows? And I don't care. <laughs> Whereas you're like, Oh my god, that's really interesting. That's the vision right there. Yeah. You're like, does the thing have a penis? Is it a rocky penis? You know, the like, weird part is, what I is... swear to god, I do not spend my time thinking of that stuff. I really don't. And sure, yet... sure you don't. No, I, I, no, I'm being serious. I think, I hope everyone, you and everyone would know that if I really did... I would own up to it just like I've owned up to so many other mortifying things during the hundreds of hours that you and I have talked. And I have to say, it usually does not occur to me. So maybe that's why when this stuff comes up, there is part of me that's like, I'm like, huh. I think, and again, and this is this is the this, the difference, is I don't think... This, yeah, is this that I'm just not into, it's like the, oh, yeah, they're the king of fucking, or really sort of the, but how do they pee or poop, or is the, the you know, does he have a wiener made out of rocks, or any of the other stuff that fanboys like bringing up and, and tittering at. I think there's a way in which, for me, what I guess I appreciate is, is the way that, at least in this context and the other context, burn is... A, talking about sex, and he's talking about loneliness, and I think that those are things that kind of 
I find interesting. And I guess I find it interesting in the way that there's an extension of with with the Marvel superheroes, the idea in which um their superpowers are tied in some ways to this feeling of adolescence, you know, like if the DC hero characters are uh, prepubescent or pubescent. I no no. I guess they're prepubescent or they're just there's they're they're adolescents. They're pre-sexual beings. The sort of body discomfort embodied by the Marvel heroes has a even if it's a deeply unconscious tinge of burgeoning sexuality of teenagerness of your body's running rampant and suddenly it's manifesting things that are gross and you feel incredibly hideous and alone is that as the marvel template sort of the next kind of stage of having ways in which ben Grimm's his relationship to the thing and the relationship to his body is hinted at this level of sexual discomfort such to the point that when he is you know making nick nick with uh alicia in terror in a tiny town he's really uncomfortable with it and then afterwards is really angry that the whole thing has quote-unquote been tainted and on top of that that alicia as quote-unquote a woman with needs is kind of like yeah i love ben but this is not doing it for me. And here's this robust teen guy that, you know, I, I find kind of hot. Cause frankly, I'm, I'm just flat out horny after all these years of not having anything. Part of me is like, okay, I get what you're saying, Graham. It's wrong. It's gross. I get it. I like it subtextually. And I even like the idea that someone is, that it, would be explored by someone later down the line. My personal squeamish preferences, yes, take some analogs, explore that, run with it, you know, like maybe say something meaningful with it. I find it hard to believe that anyone could do it well within the context of official canon and the official FF. And I certainly feel that after seeing those pages because I'm just like, I don't know. Again, I'm just like, it's skeevy and wrong. And I really, it makes me appreciate Grant Morrison all the more because he basically, I think, uses this page as a template to be like, yes, Johnny's looking, you know, the woman, the perfect woman has been standing too close. It's a Sister Sue, everyone. Look forward to my one, two, three, four miniseries coming soon for Marvel while you all crap yourselves repeatedly, you know, um... I I literally forgot about that comic. Thank you for reminding me of one, two, three, four. Yeah. As you know, I love Grant Morrison, but that is a wretched piece of shit. <laughs> I love bits and pieces of it. I don't. Oh, love I like, all I like, I like bits of it, but it's a overall, it's a terrible comic. Oh, it's a terrible, it's a terrible comic, and it really is him being like, hey. I'm going to I'm going to show that I can e re handle these characters with even less sensitivity than John Byrne. Just watch me. Uh I I don't I'm not really into yeah, I'm not into 1 2 3 4, but again, like I said, I'm not I'm not into like the very picayune questions of like, oh yeah, he poops and oh, Mr. Fantastic, he's got an expanding wiener. But there is a, something that sort of ticked in my brain way back when with Terror in a Tiny Town where I'm like, oh man, someone should really write the final days of the unfuckable four, 
in which it's like the Fantastic Four analogs basically all bemoaning their sex lives. Because apparently that's what I think of as good erotica, is people actually bemoaning their pathetic sex lives. So uh, When you say someone, you mean you. I mean me, and I think it really hopefully does point out in a way that, huh, Jeff is confusing, once again, confusing erotica with like uh, sad old man literature. And yeah. Erotica, neurotica. Exactly. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to bring this back to 270 so we can wrap this up, Jeff. 270 Please. basically they do defeat Terminus by sticking something on his head, which Jesus. makes him super heavy, and so he falls into the center of the earth. Uh, come on, so bad, so bad. The end. Jesus, uh, and but... you like that, Graham? Yeah, yes. <laughs> I like that more than thinking about whether this thing feels guilty about fucking Alicia in a tiny little robot body. I do. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to say, just I was like, I was gonna back you, but once you finish that sentence, I'm like, see, that's awesome. Um, no, two seventy is like not a good comic, but at the same time, two sixty nine, two seventy together, like that. Those that was the two issues that I was like, oh no, that those are my favorite in this run. Mm -hmm. But that's just because you're a white wingfoot She Hulk shipper, which good news for you, yeah. Exactly. I, I'm great for the next few years. Yep. Um, yeah, it, but it's it's because it's the it's because it's relatively fast moving pulp, and it, without a lot of the melodrama, with the exception of the Sue scenes, which are reasonably like good yeah, melodrama, reasonably decently done. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's it's so it's it's pretty much for these ten issues. It's what I want from the Fantastic Four. It's mm-hmm. closest to what I want from the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas what you want is Evil Walt Disney. With I, syphilis. I, I do. I think Evil Walt Disney with syphilis, even though, and again, this is it. Burns spends a lot of time lavishly throwing shit into Terminus, like lavishly illustrating stuff when nothing's actually happening, as opposed to the two Walt Disney syphilis issues where Byrne really doesn't even bother to flesh out the various vis- visual possibilities of all the stuff that he's throwing at you. And it's it's kind of a shame. So, uh, yeah, I get it. There's a, One could say there's a little something for everyone in these ten issues of the Fantastic Four, which is why we both like them. It's just interesting and perhaps unsurprising that Graham and I like totally different things. So maybe... Yeah. Exactly. But that, that's that's some of the wonder of John Byrne. But what is interesting is both you and I thought that this was a much better run of issues than we've had for a couple of episodes. Yeah. Yeah, you I know, think so. That's, yeah. that, that's super interesting because I'm not sure there's a massive shift in terms of quality. Is it that we've gotten used to it? Or like what is going on? Is this Stockholm Syndrome? I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm still trying to figure that out because I feel I feel that burn at least for us it's like I'll have an on run then an off run then an on run then an off run. I mean it really does. We opened with burn and I thought there were a strong set of issues and then it felt like diminishing returns. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong because I guess we did. Did we do two thirty eight through? 250 all at once was that what we did we tackle that much that many issues at a go or no no it was six issues maybe it was the first six issues and then the next six all i know is is that 
240 if i read 249 and 250 i think i would be kind of underwhelmed by them all over again but they feel like the promised land to me now so i <laughs> i i don't we, i don't we know did, we did 238 through 247 and then we did 248 through 260 yeah it it could be that what burn is it, i think that i think there is something to where i've given up on being into Burns stories on the larger sense and so for me it just waxes and wanes practically on a page-to-page -page basis of oh i like this oh i kind of don't like that oh i kind of like this i kind of don't like that the the fantastic four is sort of being reduced to the john burn um junk box and i don't mean junk in like trash but just in the sense of you're just picking through it for little bits and pieces for myself. And I, and overall, none of the stories really did much for me, but the little bits and pieces that I like, I feel like I'm liking them more and more as they go along. Well, no, and I, I think that's, I think that's totally true. And I think that uh, to an extent, I'm, I'm not sure I was conscious that I was doing this, but I, I am doing the same things with the issues. Mm -hmm. Like I think something is a good issue. If it has more little bits that I like. Yes. Than, you know, than not. Exactly. So, exactly. for example, like 269, 270 are full of bits that I like, as opposed to, are they good stories? Right. Not especially. No, no, exactly. They're really not. They are, they are, it's, it is, it's very interesting because in a way, it's, it's not that far away from, I don't know. It, it, it'd be interesting to contrast when, say, looking at the, stuff that thomas was doing with perez when you were really not down with it you know um and i kind of i was kind of more into some of the little bits and pieces there i'm kind of more into the bits and pieces here i don't know it's also strange i think i feel really grateful also and i don't think we can necessarily um undersell this is the fact that at this point this is 270 Byrne has been on the book for three years now, basically, right? If he started at 236 or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So it's close to three full years. And there's something to be said for just having that much consistency for a book that was kind of flopping about like a fish for the previous, what, 10 years before it? You know, oh, yeah. like, but but not only that, like he's on for another couple of years, right? Which I'm both excited by, and I have to tell you, I'm exhausted fucking by dreading. <laughs> yeah, it's like an e it's a mix of eagerness and dread that is very difficult to quantify. But hey, Jeff, do you want me to give you the good news then? Uh, yes, we are stepping out of Burnville for our next episode. Really. Oh, are we yeah, doing the annuals? Yeah, we're going to do some annuals, yeah. Yeah, that seems I mean, fair. we're not. There, There is some burn in there because we're actually going to do annuals 14 through 17. Mm -hmm. And what if issue 36? Ooh, okay. What if issue 36 is burn and it's what if the Fantastic Four didn't get their superpowers? Uh, great. And, and I think that's on Unlimited as well, right? We can it is. It is on Unlimited, yeah. yeah. Fabulous. Okay. So we will have everything. So yeah, issue uh, sorry, annuals fourteen to seventeen, and what if issue thirty six? That's interesting. That's the episode of Baxter Building. So eighteen is not not in this era. It's of the next era because I, I could have sworn eighteen is. 
Let's see. Oh, no, you're right. We should do 18 as well. Cause I think so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Cause... Let's, let's do 18 as well. Okay. Okay. Four, 14 through 18. And what if 18, issue 36? 18 will drive you mad, Chet. <laughs> 18 is so much of the things you don't like about John Burns writing in one place. Oh, boy. Your head your head will explode. Oh, uh, Jesus. All right. I will. I will keep that in mind. Graham, should we move to the closing comments then? Now that we've I told everyone, think we should. Okay. I definitely think we should. Listeners, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for staying with us through this John Burnathon. I hope you continue to stay with us through the rest of the John Burnathon because we've got like at least another couple of episodes of John Burn left. <laughs> well, what I find fascinating about the John Burnathon is not so much. I was hoping that we would provide between the expanse of our opinions something that people who've also read these issues would be able to take solace in oh someone feels the way that i do about these issues i feel like i've seen a little bit of that but more of people being like how can you say that like we're presenting um a, a vast swath of opinions with which nobody else agrees so <laughs> no 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 i think uh, what's going to be really interesting is we are so close to the part where I was reading this comic on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to say maybe not next episode, maybe not next burn episode, but the episode after that, mm-hmm. we will be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, oh, nostalgia is just going to take me over. Mm-hmm. Even for the shitty stuff. Mm-hmm. Even for terrible, terrible stuff. And there's some terrible, terrible stuff to come. <laughs> I'm going to be like, yeah, but Jeff, if you look at this, I mean, fine. You know, yeah. 12-year-old me was totally into Malice. So come mm. on. <laughs> totally wasn't exploitative at all. Come on, Jack. I tell you, that's, that's going to be a lot of... Yeah, I don't know. It, it, is, it is one of those areas that I find fascinating. Is, is as we get to proceed, I think one of the things that is fun about these issues, the burn issues uh, of FF, are the... You know, he's 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 not really a subtle guy. Like, it's very hard for me to put these no, things down not. and be like, I, I don't have to mind these issues for subtext, which in a way is sort of like, oh, that's refreshing. These these books are doing the work for me because Burn is every issue I feel like does have sort of a mission statement and does have an agenda, you know, and it's very easy. It doesn't feel like it takes a lot of work to necessarily pull apart what he's trying to do but again sort of both the fun and kind of the frustration is is that it's like oh there's something to actually react to the minus is is burn will literally be explaining it to you at potentially tedious length to make sure you don't miss it so it's a mixed bag we did a great detour from the fact that i was literally going to go show notes for this episode are available <laughs> with- <laughs> Uh, these issues, these our podcast will go so much better when we finally reach the Patreon level that allows the electro shocker to be put in my seat so that Graham can just push a button and shock me into shutting up. Uh, you know, I think I look forward to that. Let's hit that I'm level, people. We've got to hit it <laughs> soon. What I'm really saying, show notes will be available at whatpodcasts.com. The way the last few weeks have been, they're either available right now or they'll be up there before the end of Monday. Let's see just how much crazy shit happens in my work on Monday. 
I'm I'm kind of hoping that there's going to be no more fucking Star Wars stuff, but we'll see, everyone. It's been a week, Jeff. Um, of course it has. There's also stuff on the Tumblr, waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. There is always stuff on the Twitter, wait what, uh, at waitwhatpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter, at lazybastard, at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. And I have a Twitter, at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Uh, we are a Patreon-supported podcast, as Jeff just mentioned. There isn't really a level to shock Jeff, but if you guys really want there to be one, we could we could yeah, try right it in. To make we'll work it in, and it, yeah. it it's it's a surprisingly affordable level. <laughs> um, but there will be at some point this week, probably around Wednesday, uh, audio going up for Patreon supporters, where I will talk more about the thing issues, and also about Alpha Flight, and also about the X Men issue. And also about Secret Wars. Wow. In other words, all the fucking Marvel books that these issues have tied in with. Not, I'm not going into great depth, but I'm basically telling you the plots that you may want to know. Now, Graham, at the risk of potentially fucking things up here massively, I don't want to. But I do want to say, I believe, didn't we agree that the idea was that they are? it's going up on Patreon first? It's not necessarily an exclusive you people might, other people might get it later. Okay. For now, it's Patreon exclusive. You okay. don't understand how exclusive means. Jeff, I'll tell you this. I work for the media. Exclusive <laughs> means I have it two seconds before you. <laughs> Anyone else can get it after. Okay. If I have it two seconds first, it's an exclusive. Uh, I, uh, I, I appreciate I actually, you spelling I was, that out. Yeah. I talked about Patreon, which means that Jeff is going to say some things now. I, I am, and it's going to be all about uh, trying to figure out what Graham is talking about. No. I, it is actually going to be me saying, like, we are incredibly grateful to our supporters over at Patreon, their uh, willingness to, um, you know, keep us in mind via their uh, wallet uh, every month just a little bit, uh, helps us realize that this stuff isn't just sort of being released out into the void, that there are people who actually listen to it and are like, hey, we really appreciate what you do and we're going to show you that we appreciate it that's kind of awesome it's actually really awesome and so we really do want to thank all of our supporters on patreon uh including and especially the kind crew at american ninth art studios as well as empress audrey queen of the galaxy um they support us and in the case of the empress they do not uh wipe us out of existence we're pretty grateful for that. So thank you, everyone. Are we wiped out of existence? What is existence? If only Uatu, the watcher who doesn't understand non-participation, could show up and tell <laughs> us more about Emperor Audrey and yeah. what she's done for us. Yeah. Probably by going, I can't tell you, but here's a photograph. Here's her phone number. Maybe you should just call her. <laughs> Uatu, you're the worst. <laughs> That... Why do everyone is thinking about how much I hate the Watcher? <laughs> and really, I think you should all give it some thought. We will be back with the Baxter Building in a month, and we will be back next week with our regular Wait What episode. Thank you very much, always, for listening. And because it's a wait, uh, Baxter Building, Jeff, take it away! I will! Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We will see you next month in the lobby of the Baxter Building.